Um, Channel 10. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. If you go there and you sign up, you'll get a free trial to get over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle device, or your MP3 player. And another way that you can support the podcast is by going to channel10.com. And in addition to all of the great content that you have through our podcasts and our articles, you can support us by going to the Amazon.com link at the top. And whenever you order through Amazon.com, we'll get a little kickback at no cost to you. And we'd really appreciate that. So go do that. So now let's start the show. We used to be like CNN Channel 10. And we used to think that people would catch on. No, but like, if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know that. Do it, yo. yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. What up? All good, baby, in every hood, son. What up, yo? CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, network, channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown man. Bold face, gather your face, stay in place, yo. Call is now being recorded. Alright, so so we have Mateo, um, and yo, your last name, Urella? Urella? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay, so we have Mateo Urella as our guest for today's podcast, and Mateo is the author the author of Machete is Ripped in Rum: The Oral History of Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, and it's a it's actually a very interesting read. It's a it's an ebook um, that's available on Medium.com right now. If you're interested in checking it out, so um, I guess to start things off with you, Mateo, um, if you will, can you just give us um, provide you know a very I guess a, a brief b- a background of um, how you got interested and intrigued in hip hop and um, and if they had any type of role in your interest in hip hop, um, what role did did Bone Thugs and Harmony play um, in your progression um, in your progression growing up or anything anything to that extent <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um first off i want to appreciate you know say thank you to you fellas for reaching out and, and supporting the project cnn network channel 10 you already know so <laughs> much love i appreciate it um for bone thugs it's kind of a trip because i'm a big bone thugs fan but like i never personally realized the scope and magnitude of their impact until I was completed with the project. And, and the reason I started it was because I had known um, East 1999 was uh, coming up on the 20-year anniversary, uh, maybe back in March. And I said, shoot, that's going to be, you know, that's, that's a big deal to hip-hop and to music in general and creativity in general. So let me, let me research this and show a little love. And then come to find out there was just so, so much information that it went from being a little, a little, um, I guess you could say a little project of love to a full-fledged book and, and just months and months it took me to, to really put it put it down. But um, I hope I hope I can say I'm proud of it and I hope I can say that it's, it's very, very comprehensive because they have such an illustrious and kind of all-over-the-place career that it's, I personally think it's good to have 
you know what I'm saying, one body of work that just shows everything they've done. Okay, uh, cool, cool. Um, and the, actually, the, um, what's interesting is um, I came across your article through a Google alert I have. Um, I have about three or four Google alerts, and one happens to be Busybone. Um, because, like, just how you said with Bone Thugs and Harmony overall, he is very just all over the place, and I try to, I try to um, know as much about him as I can, and I figured that that was the best way to do it. Um, so, um, it, uh, based on uh, uh, based on your work, um, is it safe to say Busy Bone is probably your favorite um, member of the group? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, that's a good question. Actually, you know, it's funny because I know I, I, I apologize because I forgot to uh, I slaked out on the last question. I guess that the reason they had a big impact on my life is because when that album dropped, when Creeping on the Come Up dropped and um, East 99 dropped, it was so monumental because it was just packed with creativity. I mean, never mind the fact they were harmonizing and, and basically singing and inventing a whole new hip-hop style, but it was just, even the liner notes when they had the, the wording backwards and the Ouija board, I mean, it was just filled with creativity and for, you know, kids on the come up that were looking for hip-hop for a creative source instead of, you know, beyond just lyrics or just beats or just whatever, uh, they were full of it. And um, I had never seen any artists like that, so I was blown away. Um, but for Busy... I think um, it's tough because that's another thing. When doing the project, you realize these cats all have so much going on in their personal lives. I mean, Wish is kind of a quiet dude, but Busy is just, I really think his story is remarkable for, even without hip-hop involved, just from a perseverance and uh, human point of view. I think the guy's incredible. I think he's a, a severely underrated MC, a severely underrated uh, artist. I think he has a mm. prolific body of work. You know what I'm saying? His body of work, as you know, because of the alerts, it's... I don't know too, too many cats in the game that has, you know, obviously he's had some duds, but everybody has. And I think he's just, I don't know if I'll say my favorite because, um, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got their own thing, but I, I guess in my heart, I would say he's my favorite because I think there's a soft spot for his struggles and also for his, like I said, his verse on the, on the cypher um, record. We were just listening to it this weekend, me and my homies. And I was still blown away because, of what he's bringing to the game and to his own little um, lane, you know what I'm saying, 20, 25 years later. Mm. I think one thing that, um, you know, I got from reading your book um, is there were certain little tidbits that I knew about, but having them all put together, like, you know, comprehensively, it kind of blew my mind, like the whole thing about Busy Bone and America's Most Wanted and him being kidnapped and being on the Indian Reservation and everything. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is crazy because, you know, it uh, definitely added a lot to the story. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> uh, well, um, well, thank you, brother, for, for reading it. But what I found, too, just by doing the research was that... Um, when you look at the scope of his life and, and what's happened in his life, just as from a human perspective, you can really get an understanding of why, or I should say how it affected his art and how he can be um, kind of misconstrued or, or, I mean, obviously he's brought a lot to himself, but you know what I'm saying? A cat who's been through those kind of things, when you look at his childhood or you look at uh, everybody who's done him wrong, and then you look at how basically his theory was, you know what I'm saying? When he got kicked out of the group the first time for being drunk at BB King's, that he kind of got blackballed from the industry, so then he was doing things with his, his stepbrother Capo, and they couldn't really make real money, so they were kind of doing hustle money, and then Capo got murdered, and he kind of bears that burden. So if you really look at all the negativity or wrongdoing that happened to his life, um, like I said, I think you can kind of understand the path he's walked thus far because of it. Mm. Now, you know, 
the um uh I, I guess we don't want to focus on busy bone too much we really we really do want to get into the book but um i think perhaps the most intriguing thing about busy bone to me is the fact that you have this rapper who you know who for you know over maybe roughly a decade he you know come came out with maybe about two albums a year independently on these different varied labels with you know different styles of production but even within that um every album usually is just all it's always a catch with you know each and every album and he's the only artist I've, I've known who has gone from practically christian rap with speaking in tongues to um evolution of elevation uh um going to islam in 2006 and then he has um one more islamic album with revival in about 2007 and then he goes back to christianity when he gets um another major deal through um through after platinum records um, yeah, well, sorry, I'm walking around outside right here. Um, that is, no, that's very good observation, very good point. And, and I think, again, the reason why I kind of gravitate towards Busy is not, not to take away from the other four, but he just comes across very, very honestly with his art and with his lyrics, his, I guess his pain, his struggles, his, uh, like spiritual journey, his religious questions. He comes across very, very honest with, with not having all the answers and, and putting his pain on wax and, um, I think that's why a lot of people show love to Busy because even through his struggles and his trials and everything and his questioning, he, sh he shows a real human side to him. He's not so standoffish. And like I said, that's no remark to the other four. I just think he's really, really vulnerable when he comes to MCing. And not to man, he can hold his own. So I think he's kind of like, he has a duality to him that not many MCs can pull off, especially not for so long. Mm hmm now, uh, going into the book, um, how, uh, like, uh, what, what, are the, what are the sources that, that, that you're using to create Machete's Drip Through Rum? Are you, are, is it a mixture of, um, you know, tidbits of stories that you're getting from people who have worked with Bone Thugs and Harmony, um, you know, various books that, were, that, that have been written on them, um, or anything like that? Yeah, a lot of it, man, a lot of it was just, just straight up research. I mean, like I said, it took me from March to July, and I had two jobs. Well, have two jobs, so I was working them, grinding, doing my thing, and trying to get this out by the actual date of the anniversary. So it was just straight up research, watching hours of any videos, watching, you know, rereading the same interviews over, 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 just to find something that they might have said that I looked over. Then it actually, you know, turns out that it relates to this point. Um, my guy, Gista, who I linked up with him, he's from New Orleans. He's a New Orleans legend. I reached out to him on Twitter. And he reached back, and, and we've been kicking it ever since over there. And he, he put me on with Lazy and with Flesh. And uh, Felicia, actually, I did an interview with her, you know, Lazy's wife. And, um, oh, wow. And Flesh, yeah, that's, that's over on Medium. And, and Flesh showed love on Instagram. He put a little picture up there. So he, so this guy, G, he hand-delivered the project. Um, and now I'm working with him on some other stuff, some other, you know, some other writing, whatever, whatever. But he, he, he hooked it up big. And then the first, first person that I reached out to was Diego. Um because Diego Hodge and what I found about him I was blown away because he's the dude who single-handedly brokered the meeting between uh, Easy and Bone and you read the history or whatever you kind of do your research and, and he becomes like an afterthought you know what I'm saying they're just like oh this guy Diego did this did this whatever and so I was like yo this is the guy who changed history um, without being too dramatic so I reached out to him we had a great conversation he really broke down the history to me and he inspired me to to really put their story out there because like I said there's so many stories that's not even in the book that just show how difficult it was for these guys to make it out from where they are to where they are today and I still don't think they get the love and the shine they should but at least 
they're alive, they're making money, they're feeding their family, and uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised if they knew them back then by the by the way the stories went. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now with um now with Diego Hodge, um now see now even with that I wasn't. I really didn't know that because um, I recently uh, finished, finally finished Busy Bones' autobiography, and based on his autobiography, he kind of has he kind of has it a bit different, and he really doesn't go he doesn't go into detail on how they really um, uh, how they really got into contact with Easy E. To him, it was really just a whole bunch of phone calls and freestyling. Um, and so I was curious to know um, how much of Busy Bones' autobiography did you use um, for this book. And did you have any well, issues I, with it? Um, I didn't. I, there was certainly no issues, and far be it for me to tell somebody. You know, obviously he wrote his tr- his truths, and um, much love to Dizzy for, for even taking that on himself. But what I found was talking to Diego and and doing my research is that, um, and no disrespect to anybody again, but it seemed like there was a mm-hmm. bit of a breakdown between Bone and, and Kermit Henderson, who was kind of like, kind of like their manager to begin with, and you know, however business feels go down sour or whatever. And it seemed like they wanted to kind of cut ties with him indefinitely. And I think from my own personal perspective, Diego kind of got swept up in that um, almost like as a bystander. And he kind of, again, the way it was told to me or the way I understand it, he kind of uh, brokered a meeting between them and easy. And then they had, they just broke out and went to Cali and was calling everybody. And Diego, you know, said, Hey, I got you a, a kind of like a, kind of like an interview with Easy, and then a couple months later, they called Diego like, yo, we're dropping Creeping on the cup, and he was just blown away, like, how are these the same dudes who I was trying to put on, now they're like, full-fledged, you know, they got a label, whatever, so I think for storytelling purposes, and not in the dishonesty sense, just in general, it seemed like it's a little cleaner to just be like, you know what I'm saying, we were from Cleveland, we worked our ass off, we went to California with no money, and that's all true, but obviously there's a little bit of there's a little bit of help in there, you know what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean that they don't, they don't tell the story accurately. I just think that, like, it's a little cleaner to tell the narrative the way they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so Kermit is the, so he's the first manager, and he's the one that helped him uh, record, record that first uh, work, which was with the EP, right? Yeah, that was Faces of Death, and it was on his label, Stony Burke, and it was on, it was basically in his record studio, and a lot of people think that's, um, that's Crazy's brother, but there's no relation to Crazy. They just got the same last name. But again, I mean, that's so many years ago, but the sense I got was just that business went sour. You know, maybe it was an ownership of Napsters or whatever it was, but they wanted to break free of that kind of kind of role and break out on their own. And Diego, he kind of took them under their wing and was throwing, like, different cabaret parties. Like, they were just a local hip-hop group when they come up, and, you know, they stayed in, in touch with Diego, but... They kind of soured with Kermit, and for whatever reason, maybe he was controlling. I really, obviously, it's not for me to speak on, but I think that's kind of the reason why they don't really want to speak on how they came up in Cleveland so much. I think if you read the story, not my story, but any of their stories, a lot of it's like, when we came from Cleveland, this is what happened. And it's not so mm-hmm. much what happened in Cleveland to, to, to even become from, you know, a regular cat to now I'm lazy bone, now I'm crazy bone, now I'm busy bone. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like they just started their story from, catching catch a bus bus tickets out to California, which is fine. And I'm not trying to expose nobody. It's just I think obviously they became somebody before they were, you know, people in Cali. Mm-hmm. I think um one of the things that really stood out to me was the role of um flesh and bone and I really didn't know, you know, um about how 
you know, he was kind of in the group, but outside of it because of his own issues and things. And then how he got his own solo deal and came out with his album first. Um, I guess that's jumping ahead a little bit, but, um, you know, him saving up the money to get the tickets and everything. You know, that was just something that um, I learned from your book that kind of had me blown away as well, because he's not as represented um, a lot of times on some of their um, tracks. Yeah, well, again, much love for reading. I appreciate that, brother. But it's like, that was crazy to me, too, because, like I said, if you, you know, Busy is kind of like the tragic figure because of his, his childhood and what was done wrong to him. But Fletcher is just, just as tragic because, um, you know, he was dealing with things that's out of his control, you know what I'm saying? Mental mental illness and, and, and that kind of stuff. That's a disease. And he was, he was if, you, if you hear anything they talk about or read anything they talk about, he was the cat that was in school. He was the cat that was the bookworm. He was the athlete. He was the older brother. So he was like the leader. And I think he just got plagued by some mental issues that basically now he has under control. But obviously they reared their head later on in his life. But yeah, that's the tragic part of Fleshing because um, he did so much to put them where they are, you know, where they are today. And through financing, through contacts, through really putting his neck out there. And then come to find out, obviously he's dealing with things out of his control and Maybe they don't welcome him to the group because they think he's a liability or, you know, whatever the case is, but then his money gets screwed up. And then he's, he got a solo deal because Steve Lobel and them, you know, because the relationship will run DMC, he got the Def Jam deal, which is straight, and he put on Big Pun. And that's what's so funny is you see it snowball into all these other artists. But Flesh and um, I personally think he gets his due. And then if you look at a lot of their classic tracks, he's not even on them. He's not on Notorious Thugs. He's not, he's not even on the... Um, the new Cypher one, or it's not new anymore, but the 2013 Cypher, he's not even, you know, he's not, a lot of their monumental tracks, he's not represented. And I think it's kind of tragic because when you know the history or you, or you, you kind of get the full scope, you're like, damn, Flesh and like, he, he put a lot of this on. He brokered a lot of this. And, you know, like I said, his, his struggles get documented more than, you know, his triumphs or what he did to, for his own family, you know? Hmm. Um, you know, also another interesting thing that um, that I picked up from your book was um, when you talk about uh, uh, Flesh and Bone being uh, in the in the uh, in the mental institution and how he was. Uh, if I, uh, I think I have this correct, he was hiding his rhymes in a teddy bear because he thought people yeah. were going to steal them. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's what busy. That's a quote from busy and um, and that's what I'm saying. There's so many stories that aren't even in like the official story because it's just. Yeah, I, that's, that doesn't represent anybody in a good light, and that's, it's not supposed to be embarrassing. But that's you know what I'm saying. That's that's what happened, and it's really it's really sad because, like I said, when he was you even two years later, ten years after that, when he gets arrested or or rather jailed for you know damn near a decade, even the judge looks at his whole come up and is like, wow, you know what I'm saying? I I can't give you this full sentence because of how messed up your childhood was. So I think a lot of it was out of his control. It doesn't mean we don't have control over himself but I mean like I said he's dealing with issues and the part about the teddy bear that quote really really struck a chord with me because I just pictured these four cats walking on the highway to the to the mental institution to get this older brother you know and wish, wish his cousin and them to get him out of a mental institution and to think how tragic it was because this was the case he was the older cat and he was the one that's grinding and probably had a lot of foresight into what they could do with their talent and then come to find out he's the one who you know what I'm saying they had to kind of help out mentally and it's uh I mean God bless him for doing that I'm glad everybody has each other's back but it's just really tragic that like I said I just don't think he gets to shine and a lot of that's because he doesn't 
appear on tracks, but in terms of the family and the unit and how they got put on, he deserves a lot of credit. It's not the most credit, in my opinion. Mm. And, you know, another thing about uh, Bone Thugs that's really interesting is the fact that they have this distinct fascination with spirituality, which in a way plays itself out through this uh through this fascination with uh, with demons, and you know, looking at uh, at Busy Bones' autobiography and how he's he's literally saying that he believes that there were that the devil was you know following him around in the form of I believe a pastor or something to that effect. And then you know, and then you can go into you know Bone Thugs' first album, the second album, going to Busy Bones' first album, you know, Demons Around Me. Um, and stuff like that, and something that um, I had no I hadn't uh, had no idea about until I read um, until I read your book was the feud between uh, Bone Thugs and Three Six Mafia. So I was wa- I was wondering if you could uh, explain that a bit. Yeah, for sure, bro. I mean, basically the way I took it was, um, and even Three Six said this later on, is that you had some cats in Chicago, so that's Three Six and the legendary Traxter and Twista and those kinds of acts. And then you have over in, you know, Cleveland or Ohio area, you have cats like Bone Thugs. And there's really, you know, this is before internet, this is before file sharing, whatever, whatever. So there's really no connection between the two sonically or even, you know, with technology. So they're both doing their own thing. Um, but, uh, and then you have, I mean, you can take it as far as crazy because, you know what I'm saying, in the East Coast and Risen. And, and so you have a lot of cats that would tap into, I think, a darker side, a horrorcore you know what I'm saying, the darker side of rhyming, maybe you have a conscious side, you have a gangster side, but then you also have those like a horrorcore element that a lot of people touched on. You can see Tech Nine or even Spice One did it for for a minute, but I think the beef came from basically both of them, when they both started to get a little shine, was almost at the same time. It was like simultaneously they were both coming up, but they were both representing their areas hard, and they both kind of basically thought one was biting the other, and my personal opinion, it wasn't like that at all. You know, it was like, it was both just they both tapped into a collective conscious idea or whatever it was and they had similar styles although me personally when I look at 3-6 or I read their lyrics or whatever whatever they're really super super violent but in like a macabre sense like almost in like a um, a gory sense you know what I'm saying they're talking about like really actual like torturous acts where Bone was talking like you said almost like the darker side of spirituality or certainly there's a crime element but they didn't focus so much on the actual violence of it. I just think they kind of touched upon the darker side of those things where three, six, almost not that it was a gimmick, but their whole thing was like, how, how, how violent can we make these lyrics? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to talk about doing this act. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do this act. And then what the result is and what the result of that is, and just like going real deep in the violence. And I think once they both saw eye to eye and realized that there was no biting, there was no few they were both just trying to make money then they were both like well shoot let's make money together or you know saying do your thing i think do or die had a little bit they seemed to me to be biting a little bit but then at the end of the day they kind of showed their longevity you know saying it's not really there like it's for three six so i mean i think that's piece for itself personally mm-hmm. now now uh now did did, did, did uh did three six and bone thugs did they ever make a song together um afterward <laughs> Um, not that I know of. I know they did tours together. They did, I think it's called, I think it's called the Midwest Takeover, and it was like a four, five, six city tour. So I guess that's not really a tour, but they did shows together. They did, um, appearances together. I don't know of any song they ever did together. I know Twista did a bunch of songs. Well, you saw that, but Twista did a bunch of songs, but mm-hmm. I don't think 3-6 did any. And then when Lord Infamous passed away, and obviously Juicy J, and, and then blew up a little bit, I think it kind of disbanded 3-6 as a unit, where... Bone always had the solo careers, but they still 
even through all their turmoil, they were still kind of like boned as the original unit. So I don't think the two original units ever got to like link up the way they wanted to. I know AK from, from Tour Die, he did the track, or excuse me, he did the whole album. Um, and he was talking about what we wanted to get to all the crews who used to have beats together and make an album, but I don't think 360 and did. Okay. I think um, one thing that I think about a lot um, is, I guess, like the lineage of, of, of hip-hop when it comes to how people got put on and then, like, how sounds evolve. So it's like, um, you know, we were looking at this diagram the other day of... Um, you know, different artists that stem from NWA and Bone Thugs was on there. And one thing that I've always thought about is with the Midwest sound, um, you know, I've always considered Bone Thugs um, to be like the forefathers of the traditional um, uh, Midwest sound of the, uh, you know, rapid fire rap and then the more melodic stuff. So then you have people like, you know, Twister and Do or Die. And then you even have Nelly, who was kind of, you know, he's from the Midwest as well. And then he had the kind of melodic thing with it. And um, I always tried to pinpoint that. And there were a whole lot of beefs over that. So, like, when you were talking about the um, Do or Die versus the uh, Bone Thugs thing. And I remember, um, you know, when Twister had their issues with, or uh, Twister had his issues with them. And then they ended up coming together later on and doing some tracks and stuff like that. Um, would you say that Bone Thugs is the, I guess, uh, the the uh, father of that, that kind of style, of that whole Midwest type of um, thing? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the Midwest thing is tough only because, like you said, Nelly, I think they're, they're the father fathers of the style that they're the fathers of. So, in other words, like you said, the melodic, the staccato, rapid fire, um, certainly the harmonizing. I mean, even to today, you see cats like Drake, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that just take elements of what they actually originated. In terms of Midwest, it's a little bit more difficult, in my opinion, because there's so many elements that are shared. And you know what I'm saying? There's not anything, like, they fathered different styles that there's no denying and there's other stuff that's kind of shared. I mean, even like a little bit of a draw. Um, but with that being said, I think you can point to them as the influence of, uh, certainly like you said, Nelly, um, Nelly's a great example actually, because he, he took it one step further. He almost, he almost sang or harmonized almost more than rap. And when he did rap, it was really, really rapid fire. And he almost became a full fledged pop star. You know what I'm saying? His first album's like on the top 10, the highest selling of all time, which is great. I mean, good for him. It's a good album, but, it's just crazy because he was, like I said, he was like a pop star. And uh, a big part of that is because he made his hip-hop much easier to listen to than, than something like East 99 without Crossroads being counted or something. You know, Bong was a little bit more rugged for the radio, and that's why Crossroads was such a huge hit because you had these dudes, that one album before, talking about creeping on a come-up, which, you know what I'm saying, the meaning of that alone is not is nothing nice. And then you hear him on the radio with Crossroads, and it was such a huge, you know, it was just like, where did these dudes come from with this song? But Nelly, Nelly didn't come on the scene with anything hard or whatever. You know what I'm saying? He was all with him and he's been making money from jump. Um, probably a long winded way of saying like, I think, I think they're definitely the fathers of the style that they, that they're the fathers of, you know what I'm saying? I don't think anybody ever, ever even imagined doing what they did before they did it. And, and not only did they think of it or, or, you know, kind of perfect it, but they did it better than anybody. I mean, those guys sing, just as well as they rap, or at least they harmonize just as well as they rap, and I think they rap damn well, so it's, like, really impressive from a creative standpoint what they bring to the table. Yeah, because when I think of Bone Thugs and I think of, like, different artists with that same kind of style, then they have, you know, like you said, um, I guess 
you know, you can break their uh, their whole style down into different components. So it's like when I hear, um, you know, Eminem and a lot and like a lot of the uh, Detroit rappers and the way that they rap, and then you hear Nelly, and you hear like you know Tech Nine and all that. You can hear a little bit of Bone Thugs and all of them. Even down to some New York artists like Max B or like some things from like ASAP Rocky or something like that. Um, I hear like you know you know you can definitely hear the Bone Thugs uh, influence in it that's not necessarily credited all the time. That's I couldn't agree more, and that's what I found found interesting through the research is that they had their. They, they had their struggle to come up. Then they got, they came up and they blew up. And then after a while, they didn't, it's not that they ever faded out. They never stopped working. But you could tell that the quality of artists they started working with was lower. And now, over the last, we'll say, three, four years, it's like a resurgence because people, like you said, ASAP, um, the whole ASAP crew, but Ferg and, and um, ASAP Rocky, and I, like I said, ASAP, the whole mob, they really, really pay homage to it. And Kendrick and Drake and mm-hmm. even Weezy. And so many people pay homage to it that now they're like, now they're on ASAP for a debut album. Right. And now they're in the, you know, so it's like, it's not necessarily a new generation, but it's like they had, they went through a little low where like, okay, we know who Bone is. Yep, they're crazy. They're doing this thing, whatever. And now the new artist, or Dizzy Wright, you know, Dizzy Wright's another one that just shows mad love. And, and you're like, wow, that's like people like me or people like you, you know what I'm saying? You came up listening to them and now you have a chance to put your project out. You're like, yo, I want Bone Thugs. Bone Thugs is the deal. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was gonna say I remember um, when I heard uh, what's the chameleon there joint um, riding dirty, and I was like, oh man, like <laughs> you know that influence even spreads down to Texas, and like you know it's amazing how much um, certain groups get venerated and certain artists get venerated for uh, I guess propagating a certain style, but you know. Um, one of the things that stood out to me about your book is how much stuff they got nominated for, but they were always beat out that year by something else. And it's like, man, like, you know, they got their props here and there, but it's like, um, it never really, uh, came to fruition. But then when you look in hindsight, it's like, man, like these dudes are really, um, really the fathers of a lot of this rap stuff that's, you know, going on today. Um, that, and that's one that's one thing I did want to mention too because how you were talking about the NWA influence and I think it was really telling and you could see you could almost map it out geographically but you, it's very telling that like if you look at the scope of artists they work with it's aside from them you know maybe the Northeast other than New York if you didn't get a Boston or New England be other than New York but they they worked. I mean, even Gage Goldie is from Connecticut. They work from Connecticut to California to Texas, like you said, to Canada, to overseas with, with um, uh, Papillon Bandana. And then they got another cat from Russia, I believe, named Esco or Echo. So they worked with, they took their style. It's like almost like Wu-Tang. So Wu-Tang is one of my favorites. But when Wu-Tang has a guest or works with somebody, that person kind of gets in with the Wu-Tang style and the Wu-Tang sound, you know it's gritty New York, you know, Riz is trying to break them out from that, but basically this Wu-Tang sound is very influenced and Bone, they took their style and it was always the Bone style, but they did it with the Midwest, they did it with California, they did it with Down South, they did it with Across Seas, they did it all over the map, over the, you know, their 20 plus career and I think it's just crazy when you look at their influence, they just, it's, like I said, they didn't just stick with Midwest or they didn't, you know, once, even, they even said about Biggie, you know, when Biggie got on the Notorious Thugs, he, he tried to try to take their sound, you know, and yeah. match them, you know what I'm saying? Which is a classic record, obviously one of my favorites, but I just think it's so awesome that they just worked with everybody from everywhere. 
Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, um, you know, people always talk about Bone as the uh, only group that worked with both Biggie and Pac. But, you know, Big Pun, you know, he's he's in my top five. And, um, you know, that book reminded me that, you know, that was like his first commercial appearance. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot about that, too. And it's not just Biggie and Pac. You know, he he wrote, I mean, I, I mean, they worked with uh, Pun and Easy. Like, they really, they really, you know, um, touch all the coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, touch and Johnny J, who was who was basically California. Um, unfortunately, rest in peace to him. But you know, not that he's on the level of talking them, but production wise and sales wise, he held his own for sure. He's he's up there. But it's a uh, big pun is a legend, and big pun is another one that I think because his career was so short. He had such a huge impact, and I think a lot of hip-hop heads just show mad love to Big Pun because of how talented he was. But I think in the big scope of things, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves because he was ultra-talented. I mean, he was ultra-talented right. as an MC, you know? And he just and when he came on, like you said, it was, it was strange because Flesh and, you know, kind of had his first appearance, and maybe that was Def Jam politics, but when he really broke out on his own, he, was a, he hit the ground running. He was just like you said. He was like Nelly, I mean... He hit the ground and he he had everything. And then his second album, he still had it. It wasn't like a one hit wonder, you know. So it's really too. He's somebody that I really wish. I mean, I wish they were all around. But I just, from a creative standpoint, I think he had so much more to offer. And it's just even with his like uh, the Latin influence production he featured on Yeah Baby. I mean, he had so much to offer. And it's too bad we only heard like a little one and a half albums of it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's one of my favorite records. And um, you know, the thing about certain artists, um, and I guess. Um, it, it goes for both Bone Thugs and Big Pun is that they have these big commercial records that can work like you know um, Bone Thugs had the Crossroads and Big Pun had um, you know Still Not a Player but then we listen to the album it's like oh wow like these guys are are about their business when it comes to this rhyming and it's like you might not even really listen to the uh, lyrics and the you know the lyrical dexterity as much on like the singles because you know they have a nice hook and a nice beat and it's kind of poppy but then when you really delve into the albums you know like it gets deep. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing, again, to go back to Biggie, uh, excuse me, uh, Busy real quick, is that his album on After Platinum, A Song For You, is so good, in my opinion. I mean, and that's like, you know, his 10th album or whatever it is, he got so many projects, but he has a song on there with DMX, and, and that song alone is, is a classic. Then he's got the one called Muddy Waters, and that's like a heartbreaking song, and there's just so much talent in some of these dudes that doesn't get recognized because people take their major hit or, or something that people can grab onto and just blow it up. And that's good for the money or for the attention. But like you said, almost the, 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 the uh, flip side of that is that it almost overshadows their other, you know what I'm saying? All their other quality work. Yeah. I was kind of, um, I guess, um, the homage joint that they did on the new Dr. Dre album. Um, I liked it. I don't know uh, what your thoughts about it was with, with uh, Joe Scott and uh, John Connor. Um, and I was like, man, it would be cool if they would have, uh, you know, incorporated, you know, at least, you know, one of them on there. But, you know, I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of ill how they kind of uh, flipped the uh, the uh, for the love of money. I don't know if you heard that yet. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that, that the original. Well, I won't say the original because that's another thing that I didn't even realize. But when I did the research that easy, easy had already put that sample out on the Yomo and Malky joint. And then that didn't yeah. make love. Yeah, and that was news to me, but that Bone song is one of my favorite Bone tracks of all time, and 
I heard the new one, the Dre album, and that's uh, just like you said. I love the album. I love that track, but I just don't see how you can put out that that m- monumental of an album with all this press and all this love, and have that song, and and not feature Bone because that's just to me that's like a microcosmic example of the over of them getting overlooked. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. can't release that record and not have. I mean. Lazy and, and busy and crazy. Crazy right now is really hot. Crazy is really hot right now. So I just don't ha- I understand how you can't have one of those cats on there just for 16. That doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the record was hot, but it would have been cool if you would have threw crazy on there or something like that. Um, and it makes me think, too, like, um, man, now you got me thinking of a Bone Thugs biopic, you know, biopic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I was just tweeting S. Gary Gray all day, to be honest. I was like, yo, let's get this going, because um, obviously I would like to be involved just for my own personal, you know, just because I, lo- I, lo- I would love it. But even if it's not me, um, their story deserves to be told into a, a two-hour movie. And um, I'm supposed to talk to Lazy when he comes back off tour to see if we can turn either this book into a into a bigger project than it is or to, or to get a different book going with, them, with, you know, with all five of them, because they deserve... Um, just my my little book is like a little tip of the iceberg, you know what I'm saying? Like, and there's probably stuff they don't want to talk about, and that's fine, that's whatever. But their story is crazy, and and the movie to me would be crazy, you know what I'm saying? I didn't see the new Straight Outta Compton. I probably won't even catch it just because it's I don't know. It don't it, whatever. That's whatever. But Bone, I think, deserves. That's why I was honored to be involved in this project itself because I think anything that any of us or, or myself can do to illuminate the impact that these dudes had on music and hip hop and like you said, awards and sales and everything, then the better because they don't get the credit, they don't get the love, they don't get the respect in my opinion and it's going to take something like one of them passing away for people to be like, oh yeah, I used to love Bone. Bone, you know, everybody loves Bone. Skater loves Bone. Skaters, you know, hip hop heads, mm-hmm. you know, academics, everybody loves Bone in some way or another but nobody shows love to Bone. Nobody, they're not in anybody's top five and not, I don't know and, and so like you said, I mean, Again, a long-winded way, but I would love to see a movie about that, and I think it would really capture people's imaginations, and it would really help out a lot of people because they came from, like I said, they came from nothing nice, and they they became, you know, what I'm saying, multi-millionaire Grammy winners, and it's super inspiring. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Um. Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, um. Well, well. So you, uh, you mentioned Lazy Bone, and I wanted to um, talk a little more about him because. Um, you know, you, if I feel, you know, I guess being an avid, uh, an avid Busy Bone uh, listener, um, you get to learn quite a bit about Lazy Bone through Busy Bone, period. Um, and, you know, you can see with certain songs, Lazy is usually always on certain um, important songs um, on, on various Busy albums. And then him and, and him, uh, Busy and Lazy, have uh, the Bone Brothers um, series that, they, that they've been putting out for quite a, for quite a while. And even thinking about their solo careers, they're kind of in a way similar. You know, they're they both have a lot of albums out on various independent labels, but they kind of put them out at the same time. So um, I, I was really um, happy to see that that you mentioned in your book about Lazy Bone when uh, uh, when. I think around the time of the gift, um, when when Busy Bone came out with the gift, he came out with um, with his album, and he and he was calling himself L Burner, which I think you know, which is something that I, I always tend to forget about him. And then uh, going, I guess, a bit 
get a bit more down the line in his independent career and he also has like a line of albums on Hot Power Entertainment the same way that Busy Bone does um, so I, I wanted to know if you could explain the lazy busy uh, the lazy and busy relationship a bit more yeah for sure bro um, what, what I found interesting was to me the way I like, like I said um, just from my own standpoint it seemed like Flesh Flesh was just the born leader he's the oldest you know he, he was the most educated he was driven and again no disrespect to those guys that's even their word he was the leader and crazy to me it's like the artist he, they're all artists but he's like the full-fledged artist he handled a lot of production a lot of the ideas a lot of the lyrics it's slow I mean he came with a lot of artistry that I think influenced those guys and Wish Wish was probably just straight up business and that's cool when he held it down he did his thing um but busy and lazy to me, they they they're kind of like underdogs to me. They're like underdogs with big hearts. And when you read how they they met, you know, busy uh, uh, busy had this crazy childhood, right? And he's trying to stabilize. He's selling dope. He's living in like slums and really not not a nice life, not a nice home life. Really messing his life up. And he comes into contact with lazy, and lazy's life isn't too much better. But he's got a steady home life. He's got parents. He's got an older brother. He got a younger brother. Whatever, whatever. And he really, really took Busy in on a, on a friendship level and never never turned his back on him. Even when Busy was beefing with crazy, Busy was beefing with everybody in the world. He was beefing with himself. Lazy never turned his back on him. He always held him down. And I think that's, um, that's probably why, in my opinion, Lazy kind of took it to heart when Busy would drop the ball a lot because he knew he had his back since day one. He knew he held him down. And I think he gave him all that leeway because he knew a lot of the problems Busy had that the, that the world didn't know about. Obviously, he knew about it and he kind of let him, you know what I'm saying, he had to kind of explore himself and find himself a little bit. And the relationship to me is, is probably the closest in the group other than Flesh and Flesh and Lazy, who's actual blood brothers. But Busy and Lazy always, they never, ever beef. They never disrespect one another. Like you said, they had the whole Bone Brothers album series, um, High Power you know, they had the record labels. They dropped albums on the same day. Um, I think as a unit, the five of them were all, they're all family, but I think there's a real special bond between Lazy and Busy because Lazy's the, um, you know, Lazy's the smallest one and Busy's the youngest one and Busy probably had a lot of insecurities and that's understandable. And I think Lazy, um, you know, was driven and was driven by flesh in them, but he had his own, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, he's a small guy and he was trying to do his thing. So I think they both came from this underdog point of view and they're super dope and super talented uh, artists. And they just saw that light in one another and just decided that, like, I think they just had that kind of unspoken bond that, that you can have with somebody when you just connect with them for whatever reason. Maybe after one day you feel like you know them your whole life, you know, and I think it's really obvious when you, even in the crossroads, you know, um, uh, he said, um, when you know, Lazy came to me, he said, if you, should, you know, he's, he's talking about if I die, bury me by my grand and then when you can come follow me I mean that's how he started off his whole verse you know and that should tell the world right there like their biggest single ever not that they had the foresight to know it was going to be that big but their biggest single he's talking about you know Lazy said when I die just bury me next to my grandmother and when you can you follow me to heaven and I mean like that shows their relationship right there to me mm-hmm. damn <laughs> yeah I was thinking uh Real quick, I was drinking espresso all day, so if I'm firing off, I apologize. Oh, no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're good, man. I guess um, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, just looking at your um, your uh, LinkedIn page, you are involved in so many different things, and I was just wondering, like, how you got into uh, writing about hip-hop. 
Oh, man, writing about hip-hop. Well, that's funny because the way I write about hip-hop is the same way I'm interested in writing about martial arts. And both of those um, uh, areas, or I should say arenas in my life, I've been interested since I was a young guy, five years old, and never stopped. But what I found, and it might it might come across the wrong way, but what I found is that there's not always too um, high-quality writing in either subject. You know, at least something that I want to read. You can find it, but there's not. it's not widespread. It's not like rock and roll or something. My my guy, Mike Aria, he's a very established author, and he got a book mm-hmm. out. He's, he, he has a deal. He has a publishing deal. And what he always would tell to me is, yo, look at the history of rock and roll or look at the history of boxing. The boxing probably has the best journalistic history but nowadays it's like i maybe because of blogging or whatever it's not so it's not so good so i wanted to write about hip-hop and about martial arts and about just dope subcultures that interest me that i don't find i got sick of reading or i got sick of looking for it you know so i try to write about skateboarding because i read all the things on skateboarding and i read all the things on bone and and i wanted to write my own you know what i'm saying so i'm involved in writing my own screenplay right now that's my next project and it's because I mean, part of it's a love of mine, but the other part is because I got sick of watching these movies. I wanted to make my own movie. And so I wanted to know the story on Bone, and I can't find one. So I said, shoot, let's just make one. You know what I'm saying? It's like if, they, if they're not going to give us what we want, we're going to make our own. Right. Right. That's a dope way of, um, of looking at everything. Like, um, yeah, and I guess that is true. Like, you know, there's a lot of great uh, writing about, you know, rock and roll and boxing, but, you know, there isn't so much now with, um, I guess, hip-hop and MMA. And I guess hip-hop and MMA have come up um, in this social media blogging type of thing where you just get quick little tidbits here and there and um, you don't really get the in-depth analysis and uh, things like that as much because people's attention spans are a little shorter. I don't know what it is, but um, <laughs> it's... Um, well, it's... Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, sir. No, go ahead. I was, just, I was saying the same, the same thing is that basically basically the same thing you were saying. I mean, just that, you know, like, I think if you read something like, like the Bone Book, it's it's very, very fascinating for a hip-hop head, but even for somebody who doesn't know Bone, doesn't know hip-hop, doesn't even like music, it's really, really interesting on a human level, and I think that everybody has that same story. Not not their story, but everybody's got an interesting story. So, you know what I'm saying? If you if you happen upon a story about something, that's why I'm trying to do the profile series, because I just think everybody's got something to say. You know what I'm saying? And, and when you look at Bone, not not only do they have something to say, but they have some of the dopest records out, but they have a lot to say. And somebody like Busy or, or Flesh In or even Crazy, I mean, <laughs> him shooting Wish, that story is crazy in and of itself. So I just think, like, there's so many human element connections that, that kind of rise above hip-hop or rise above music that, are, that anybody can relate to. It just so happens that they're hip-hop artists. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yes, that's definitely dope. Go ahead. No, not me. Oh, no, no, I'm listening, brother. Oh, Sin, you got something to say? Oh, you, <laughs> oh, you, you can go. I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still getting this, um, this whole thing down and all that. Um, so when it comes to um, uh, uh, martial arts, uh, 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 what's been your involvement in that? Well, like I said, I've been a student since I was a young guy. Um, I was a young, skinny guy, small guy, asthmatic guy. So I always studied from afar, and that's a big reason why I got put on to hip-hop and music in general, because I just had cassettes, and I'd make, 
you know, cassettes or whatever, whatever. But, um, you know, I had a big, uh, I had a hand in bringing my little brother up. And now my little brother, who's, he's damn 28 years old right now. He's not too little, but he's, he's five and oh, as a, as a pro MMA fighter. And mm. he's, um, he's a beast. And, and from him doing it over the years, he got me involved with some other guys like, um, there's a cat named Matt Bassett, um, was trying to get into the UFC. One of my best friends is Matt, and one of my other best friends is a kid named Nick Newell. Nick Newell's a very, very special fighter and a very special person. He's 12-1. and one. I'll let you guys do your research on Nick because I don't want to talk for Nick too much, but Nick is a very, very, very special person um, as a fighter and as a person himself. And so, you know, shout-out Fighting Arts Academy, uh, all New England-based guys that I was really, really lucky to get involved with. And the culture of martial arts is very similar to hip-hop, without getting too crazy, but there's a lot of honor in both of them. And there's a lot of authenticity in both of them. In other words, if you are the real deal and you walk it, then you're not flexing because you already know. And if somebody else already knows, then they see you and it's, they're not checking you because everybody, you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows who the real deal is. And, and as soon as uh, the fakes come in, they get exposed because there's no... One thing I learned from hanging out with all these martial artists, these are some real tough dudes. And when you walk around with them, they're some of the goofiest cats you know because they're not flexing on anybody because they already know what they are capable of. You know what I'm saying? So they're not looking to test themselves or or get tested or whatever it is because they already know. And so I think it's similar to almost like Busy again. We keep going back to Busy, but it's very similar <laughs> to Busy. He was <laughs> he's talking a lot about like you know trying to trying to advance his art form because he knows when it comes to a cipher or a battle he's the cat. You know what I'm saying? Not only in his whole crew in his own crew, but he's the cat. Like he can hold it down. And so there's no need to, that's why when they dropped that Cypher record, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, they should, I mean, <laughs> it was ridiculous, you know, and there's no need to talk about all the things you got if you got them, you know what I'm saying, or if you do them, because it's obvious. And so I think martial arts is a very, very, very um, uh, important, I guess I could say, way of life. If, if someone chooses to get into it, I think it's, it's a way of life and nothing, you know, nothing, nothing else. Um, MMA, you know, now that's become a full-fledged sport, and that's cool as a sport, but martial arts itself is a way of life, and it's very serious and um, very rewarding. And hip-hop, it's, uh, I think the art form um, is taking a backseat to, to rapping, and that's, that's cool, that's whatever, especially because of the monetization of it, but um, hip-hop culture is not, is not going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? And hip-hop culture itself is also a very, very important way of life because I think it started from... Um, basically following your dreams and achieving what you don't think or what others don't think you could. And I think it's gone away from that a little bit, but the, the genesis is the same. It's always going to be the same, you know? Yeah. I think um, what you just said, it just reminded me of two things. One is a tangent and that's, um, it's something that I wrote about. Um, I, I did an, um, like, like a little article about, uh, Sean Price is up at channel 10, uh, podcast.com. And, um, I basically said the same thing as like, he was able to be so humorous and um, just say some of the craziest things that probably a lot of rappers probably wouldn't say because they're so focused on being um, hard and promoting this image and everything. But Sean Price, he just had this air about him that, you know, he knew that he could probably break your face in one punch so he could laugh and joke <laughs> and say like ridiculous things in his raps and it didn't really matter. And um, I think that was fueled his creativity. And the other thing that it made me think of is... Um, about the uh, the uh, authenticity of it, and um, I guess you know one thing that I thought about is uh, going to the Meek Mill and Drake thing, and you know the whole thing about Drake getting help, 
And um, I guess parallel to it would be, um, you know, I know some people who are like hardcore Drake fans and stuff like that, and they, you know, swear by him. And, you know, he's considered, you know, I guess in this new era, the top three, you would think, um, in terms of sales and, you know, I guess, you know, creativity and skills, you would say Drake, J. Cole, and Kendrick, or... um, and, you know, with the allegations of his ghostwriting, um, and then you look at something like uh, what's happening with John Jones or even with Anderson Silva with the steroids thing, um, um, there's definitely, I think, some parallels there where you're like, oh, man, like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that whole authenticity and the whole way of life and the whole code and, you know, certain people... Um, like, I guess when you talk about, you know, the monetization and stuff is cool, you know, you know, there's the whole group of people who say, you know, this is the music business and this is how it's done and all that. And it's like, yeah, you know, I feel that. And, you know, that is how it's done. But when it comes to this rapping thing, like when it comes to this straight hip hop thing, like that's just something that you don't do. That's cold. And that's how I feel sometimes when I hear about, you know, some of my favorite fighters who might have done steroids and things like that. You know what's crazy is so I, I Anderson Silva is my favorite of all time, still right. my favorite of all time, even though he broke my damn heart in two. But the thing about Anderson is I was working on a very very long form piece on Anderson and a oh, and a video break. Yeah, I was tr- I was putting my heart into it, bro. And check this out. So my little brother, the cat I mentioned, Jeff Jeff Haddad, I was saving up. I bought us plane tickets. We went to Vegas, right? We see this fool like Chris Weidman for the first time. Oh, man. And I, <laughs> and bro, I, I straight up got out and left the arena. Um, oh, and my brother was like, why you, yeah, it was the worst thing, bro. But to speak on, to speak on, um, you know, somebody like that or something, or like how you said about your, um, ghostwriting, or it's, it's like you said, it's like, if you want to make money, you want to be a businessman, you want to be whatever, whatever, then you can do those things. But if you try to be a lyricist or a rapper, then you can't do those things. So if you want to be like the toughest guy in the room, then maybe you want to take steroids and maybe you want to mess around with, with like John Jones style. But if you want to be the best, that's why a cat like Demetrius Johnson, I don't know if you know him, but him and Ronda Rousey to me is far and away. There's, there's not anybody even on their level and it's not even close in my opinion. But Demetrius Johnson doesn't get any love and UFC doesn't put him on. Nobody puts him on. But when you talk about straight martial arts, nobody's even close to him. But you want to watch Conor McGregor because he's, he's like steroids of the mouth. You know what I'm saying? And no disrespect to him. I'm a big fan of his, but... He's, he's selling tickets, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's not that it's not real. It's just like, it's, I just think, actually, you know, it's funny. It brings me to a point because I was looking at your titles today and you had um, one of your podcasts was titled Hero Dreams of, Hero Dreams of Sushi. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it was referencing that. And that's one of my favorite movies. And what that movie taught me was I could never do it. But what that movie taught me was that guy dedicated his entire, his whole lineage's life to the purpose of one single goal. And I was blown away. He didn't care about nothing else. He didn't care about if he was a good driver, if he was a good laundry guy. He just cared about being the best sushi chef he could be. And he is the best sushi chef, so he, he got it. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if you want to be the best martial artist, then there's no place for steroids. If you want to be the best rapper, then there's no place for ghostwriting because it's, like, contradicted. It's just that doesn't come into the arena of when you're trying to be the best of something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um... When it comes to your your particular uh, taste, who who do you listen to now? Like like, what's in your rotation? Oh, you know what, bro? You know what? That's a great question, and that gives me an opportunity because I have not stopped playing the Goodbye Tomorrow album, and I don't know if you've heard of those cats out of Chicago. You know what? That's matter of fact. That's the one. Um, 
I was just telling Singa the other day, uh, it popped up on my Spotify and, uh, and I clicked on it because of the title and I was like, this sounds really interesting. And when I, like, I only listened to like the first two tracks, um, and then I was like, who are these people? So I Googled them and it said Mysterious Chicago Rap Group drops a title and I, I, I mean drops an um, album and I've just been meaning to research them the past couple of days, but I haven't had a chance. So if you can enlighten me, please go ahead. Well, bro, I mean, I, I actually, I, 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 uh, I did my research on their identity and it, they, what they're trying to do is basically withhold their identity, not for some, like when The Weeknd came out, I'm a big Weeknd fan, but when he came out, it was strategic. You know what I'm saying? He was trying to come up with a movement digitally and, and viral, and it worked. And now that dude's on top of the world. I'm a big fan of his. But the, the Goodbye Tomorrow is coming with a similar marketing plan, but I truly believe that they don't want their identity revealed, not because it's a scheme or a gimmick, but they're like, yo, just listen to the records. Just listen to the records. If you feel it, then tell people. If you don't, we don't care. Tell people anyways. Like, they don't, it's not about being stars. or I mean, I'm sure they want to get paid, but it's not about getting paid off their face. Um, so I think that, first of all, is very interesting, especially in this day and age. And the flip side of that is their marketing uh, strategy is crazy good. I mean, they have graphic designers involved, their visuals, their videos, their sonics, their production. is, is Everything they're doing is A+. plus. The, the content of the lyrics, it can be a little abrasive. It can be not maybe so deep, but there are some, some kind of... And the album itself is almost like a story. So I think it's a little bit, it's not as deep as like, I don't know, like, I don't know, you know, whoever, who are your favorite deepest rapper, but there is more going on than just like punchlines. So I have not stopped playing them. I think, okay, you mentioned J. Cole. I actually think J. Cole is very, very underrated because as an artist, I mean, he's, he handles almost all his own productions, no features. His lyrics have meaning. He's very, very tight when he's writing uh, verses. I think um, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap for being boring. <laughs> and me personally, I, I think Kendrick <laughs> Kendrick is great. Kendrick is a genius, straight up. But his last album, like, I don't know how many times I'm going to play it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like it a lot, but it's like almost like a history lesson as rather than like a music album. And I think if you're a musician, you got to make music first. You know what I mean? I mean <laughs> no diss to Kendrick. I love Kendrick, but I just, his first three albums hit me a lot harder than the last one. And that's maybe that's because it wasn't made for me. It's all good, but... I always go back to Wu-Tang. Jay Dilla is my number one of all time. Never get old. Um, so, but for Newcast, like I said, I, I, hip-hop's a little bit different. I, there's a cat named Finale. Um, he's on Mellow Mood. I listen to him a lot. I listen to Odyssey a lot. I'm a huge Odyssey fan. I think Odyssey is super dope, super underrated. Um, and then there's a lot of other electronics. Like Blue Sky Black Death is probably my favorite my favorite production of all time other than Dilla. Um, I don't know mm. if you've ever heard of them, but they're super, yeah. super dope. Yeah. Who are you listening to? Um, me personally right now, what what do I listen to? I haven't had a chance to listen to a whole lot. Um, I just recently redid my top five um rappers ever. It used to be Tupac, Nas, Ice Cube, um, Eminem and Ghostface. Oh now, yes. Now I switched it up a little bit. I'm gonna go Nas. Most Deaf, Ghostface, Big Pun, and who did I say the other one was? Did I say Eminem? Um, maybe Eminem. I think that's what it is right now. <laughs> it uh, switches, but yeah, those, like like those are the people who are kind of always in my um, rotation. Um, Group-wise, I would say uh, Wu-Tang, M.O.P., um, 
Bone, of course. Um, who else? Um, I don't know. I listen to a lot of Boot Camp Click. Um, and then more recently, I listen, I listen to like a lot of different things. Like I listen to Future's album a little bit, um, mm-hmm. a little bit of YG. Uh, I like ASAP Rocky's album. I actually thought Big Sean, um, I like people who I wasn't a fan of first, but then they convinced me later on. So I thought Big Sean's album was dope because I didn't really like him before. Um, but yeah, just like, like just a bunch of different stuff. Um, um, I'm trying to think of uh, what else. I actually do like the Kendrick album a lot, and I'm really looking forward to J-Rock. I haven't heard that new song that he came out with um, recently, but people are saying that it's really good, so i got to check that out really soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. hip-hop-wise, it's kind of um, all over the place. Um, what about you, Sam? What are you listening to right now? Well, you know, this is going to sound funny, but ironically enough, I've been listening listening to Busy Bone lately, and it was actually it was a little before I got the Google alert about um about machetes drifting rum. But um, outside of that, um, I guess uh, some Kamuteo, uh, um, a little bit of uh, Billy Woods, um, and some Weekend on the side and Beach Boys. That's pretty much about it. Um, and I finally listened to, to uh, Future's album all the way through, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not mad at it. You know, uh, I don't know what to yeah. say about it. It's, it's really weird. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's good for what it's good for, but you can tell that he has that uh, creativity and like how we were saying lineages. Um, he does come from the Dungeon family, so you know I think there's a reason why he's been around for as long as he has been. You know. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But, um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I guess just going back to the harmonies of everything, um, I don't think I've ever heard Bone Thugs with auto-tune before. <laughs> and, you know, you know yeah. that's a really good point, man, especially since, you know, they you know they, they smoke a lot. Um, I'm assuming they, they probably, well, I know back in the day they did. So it's, it's amazing how, how on point their voices were, you know, just thinking about the amount of intoxicants, you know, that they've, that they've dealt with, um, in their time. Yeah. And, um, I was just thinking about too, remember, um, that one video, uh, money in a Ziploc bag. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Snow, 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 the joker, the veil on him. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an um, unedited version of that? Oh, man, I was about to ask him the same question. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's a really good question. Yo, he's 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 hot on Instagram right now. He's all over Instagram. I mean, you could probably hit him up for like like a favor, and he probably would do it. He's like all over Instagram right now, doing like I don't know, like cooking eggs oh. or whatever. Oh shit! I, I didn't know he was out. No, me neither. And now he's, I think he like literally got out last week because every time I scroll my timeline, he's like posting a video of like putting on sweatpants or like tying shoes or some like arbitrary thing that I don't know. <laughs> but no, somebody's out. It, it might not be him, but somebody's out and they got mass followers and it looks like, you know, it looks like the real deal. So. All right, yeah, we're going to have to check that out. I mean, all right, so, yeah, actually, you know, uh, um, uh, changing gears a little bit more, kind of, well, I guess, shifting back to Busy Phone a little bit. Um, when you, uh, What did you think when you first saw the money in the Ziploc bag video? I thought it was very thorough. I thought I was very <laughs> scared. I was scared to be a viewer. I was scared to even hear that because I didn't know who was watching me. 
um, sometimes you get those, I don't know, it got a little too real for me as a viewer because you're like, yo, I don't, like, are they going to trace my like my, my URL or whatever? No, but, like, I, it was, I mean, it was just a different side, and I think it's, again, what Busy was saying. He was like, yo, we're real people. We do real things. If we weren't doing this music thing, we would be doing this other thing. And I don't think the two worlds are that far removed a lot for, for artists and, and people. You know, either, a lot of people either come up and then they get put on, or a lot of people get put on, and then they seek out that authenticity. And it's usually obvious, whatever, um, Tiger, but at the same time, like, somebody... It's, <laughs> somebody I was just like that video <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's done. we see you from a mile away, like, you know, no thank you, but uh, that video itself was just very raw, and it kind of, it was even raw for bone standards, you know what I'm saying, and I think if you if you research that cat's life, that was crazy in and of itself, and you know these dudes are doing real, real things, and it doesn't mean that uh, anybody's advocating that, it's just, this is real life, you know what I'm saying, and like, their creativity extends as far as their budget, and that budget extends as far as their work, and, you know, I mean, you can kind of put the numbers together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, well, I was going to. I was going to ask. Well, um, another person who I have been listening to as of late is um is uh Xavier Wolf, and I remember that you you mentioned him. Uh, I guess toward the end um of your book when you're talking about influences and stuff like that and how he came. He came. Well, originally he was he was Ethel Wolf and he came out of um Space Coast Perps uh, camp. Um, and I was curious to know uh, what what you thought about uh, Xavier Wolf now, and even when he was Ethel Wolf, and how his style was distinctly um, Bone Thugs with the flow and the beats and everything. Well, what's funny is I'm I'm down here in Miami right now, and I, I come from Boston, but I've been out in Miami. And Space Coast has been getting crazy love in Miami for years before. I mean, because you know it's just his area, but I never knew who he was. You see stickers all over, you see whatever, and then he came with his whole Raider Clan movement. And um, just to speak on him real quick, I almost feel, you know, he has, he's another guy that has a lot of creativity. His, his beats are very dense, and um, I don't think he's reached his creative like, potential, but I think he will. And he's very hilarious on Twitter, so I know he's still got a lot to say. Um, as far as Avery Wolf, I think he's, like you said, he's, he's the direct descendant of the bone sound, and, and he, he says it himself. And I think he, somebody like him, and maybe Dizzy Wright a little bit, although Dizzy, I think, a little bit more lyrical, um, even a cat like Earl Sweatshirt. I know Earl Sweatshirt's uh, flow is nothing like them, but I just think that sound, they come in almost with like dark, eerie, kind of out-of-the-box type beats and, and flows, and I think that's a lot of like, East 1999 was like a concept album, but a lot of those beats and stuff and a lot of the, you know, it's not, it's very dark and it's very, um, yeah, yeah, whatever. But Xavier Wolf, I can't say that I know his work as well as I wish I did, but I find him very interesting. I find him to be staying true to himself, you know what I'm saying, and not really worrying about pretty much anything else, just trying to make art and be self-reliant self, uh, on his own art form. And that's all I think any of these cats, including myself, is trying to do. So I really, really respect his uh, his work ethic and his integrity, but his body of work, I don't know it as well as I probably should. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know... Um I um well I I know him more I guess more so as um Ethel Wolf and he really had you know that that bone thugs vibe and it seems like I guess since he's become a bit older he's he's you know he's grown a bit more into himself so he's like slowed his his flow down and you know he has more I guess anime type of samples incorporated with um in his beats and he's actually he's kind of like shifted away from the whole Ra Raider Clan type of sound. Yeah, 
as of now. For the better, you think? To your opinion, I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I will say for the better. Um, but yeah, I'll say for the better. But the thing that didn't intrigue me about Ethel Wolf originally was the fact that he had this Bone Thugs flow, and you know, personally, I don't think a lot of people can really pull that type of flow off. Of, and he, it was like really to the point like it was like on some uh you know like the uh, uh who's the um airy spears you know how he <laughs> yeah it was something yeah. like that i thought i was listening to like you know crazy bone or something for a minute when i first came across his mixtape but i will say it's for the better um because he has like the because i mean he has his own following now he like he he tours all over the country has he sold out shows and no one knows who he is but it seems like he's making a good living off of what he's doing now you know, it's funny. I wanted to ask you because you were saying how Eminem one of your favorite MCs. Did you happen to listen to the um, when Eminem drops uh, Rap God and then Crazy drops Flash of the Titans? I don't know if you heard either of those tracks. Um, I heard um, I heard Rap God. I didn't hear cra- uh, Clash of the Titans though. Um, uh, how was that? Well, he just took the same beat and he and he like tripled down on Eminem slow. And to me. I like the Eminem one a lot, and especially when it dropped, I was blown away. I was like, yo, he, he recaptured that magic, and this, this dude, still nobody can touch him when it really comes down to doing what he does. Um, like you said, he's one of the best when it really comes down to it, but I thought Crazy, shoot, I thought Crazy killed it on that one because um, you talk, for me personally, Eminem, that one kind of came out of nowhere because I kind of stopped listening to him. He wasn't really interesting me that yeah. much, and then that one dropped, and I was like, yo, he's, I, I forgot how raw of an MC is, but then, but then on that point, Crazy dropped Clash of the Titan it, that really came out of nowhere because he was really like, you know, how are you going to give me something that I never gave away? You know, it's just really, really dope. I would listen to that if I was you because uh, super dope. Yeah, I definitely got to check that out. It's it's interesting when you see um, like a newer cat. I guess Eminem isn't newer, <laughs> newer anymore, <laughs> but you see like a newer cat come out with something and then you have like the progenitor of the style come back and say, nah, like this is how you do it. <laughs> like, like that's always um, interesting to me. Yeah, I wish that um, one cat, well, real quick, I, just, I had to get it in because I forgot to say it earlier, this one cat that I always listen to, too, because you were saying the hop and them, obviously now it's the AZ. I think AZ is the most criminally swept on MC ever to do it, but... uh, You know what's crazy? I, I, guess my, um, <laughs> I guess my hip-hop moment of the day is um, I was driving um, through Baltimore today, and I heard somebody playing... Um, What's that song? No one can touch AZ. I heard that blasting out of uh, somebody's car, and I was like, "Oh man!" Ooh. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know, it, you know, it's still here. Like people are still uh, paying homage and respect. So shout out to AZ. <laughs> yeah, man, I love AZ. I want to do a whole project on AZ because he's another one who works with a lot of people, and a lot of people show him love, but he's never had that one moment. Just like Bone, I mean, Bone had Crossroads, but. They never had that. You know, I'm hoping their 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 next and allegedly final album really gets the credit it deserves. And the way they're talking, it will because you know if they have Phil Collins and Mariah Carey and Kendrick and Drake and a double album of everybody in the game, then I think people will finally be like, you know, we forgot about Bone all these years. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah hopefully that 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 comes out right. Um, like it's interesting because sometimes when you have. Um, I don't know, I guess you would call Bone, would you say that they're a legacy group now? Um, I guess along the lines of like a Wu-Tang, and then when you hear like a new Wu-Tang album, it's like, ah, oh, man, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it breaks my heart kind of because there's so much dope. But that's the other thing. I mean, it's almost like, um, 
it's almost like, you know, you, you overlook some of the stuff as a fan, but when you do the research, like, Wu-Tang is my favorite of all time, but if you look at a lot of the Wu-Tang, like Chronicles album, and a lot of things that they put their name on was watered down and saturated, and it was really whack. And Bones, <laughs> unfortunately, because of Mo Thugs, and they had a couple of albums in there that was just, they had some hits on it, or they had some flows, and they had some beats, but overall, it was kind of just straight flops, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's... um. You know what I'm saying? Nobody obviously is always perfect, but in terms of being a legacy group, I would absolutely say that. And I just think it's beautiful that they're getting their resurgence like through artists like the game and artists like ASAP because um, they deserve all the credit and respect that they that they earned because they truly did earn it. But I do think at this point that, like oh, like I said, their next album, it's just that double album, that's going to be super dope and it'll probably sound just as... Like, did you guys hear the um the More Than Thugs track produced by Lewis on the track, the, the comeback song that they made like uh, last year, I think, or last month? I mean, not last month, last like like November or something? Um, I think uh, I did no, hear that. I, I did haven't. hear that, and I think I was kind of surprised because um, it was kind of dope. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> um, you know, I get hesitant sometimes, you know, when I see something from an artist that, you know, I really like, but it's kind of past their era. But, um, but yeah, yeah, from what I remember from my um, initial impressions on here, and then I liked it a lot. Yeah, and that's why I think their artistry speaks for itself. Because, like I said, they're super dope MCs, but they're artists first. And, like I said, this this kid, Lewis, on the track, he comes from California, super young kid, and he just laced him with a banger. And then they really, in my opinion, I mean, they knocked out the park in something like that, something like the Cypher, something like the Game song, something like the ASAP song. They showed that, like, even though they're older statesmen and veterans and maybe, like, afterthoughts at this point, when it really comes down to it, they can still do their thing and, if it's if it's with the right beat or the right artist or whatever it takes, they can really still make quality music. So I think that they're uh, they've earned like the legendary or, or you know legacy status, but I don't think that they're like like it's certainly not irrelevant or anything. Not that that's what you were saying, but you know. Yeah. Um, when it comes to I guess how you were saying like like the uh, I guess the spinoff groups of Wu Tang, were you fans or uh, uh, were you a fan of um, any of the Killer Bees? <laughs> Oh, bro, you know what? It's, so the group Blue Sky Black Death that I was talking about, they dropped an album with Hellraiser. Right, 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 Black. yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. And um, I was a fan of Sons of Man. I was a fan of Killer Bees, but definitely not to the point of like, like Wu-Tang is truly like when they said, yo, just drop out of summer school shorty and get this double Wu-Tang LP. I know they was kind of joking, but it was really so much dense knowledge in what they were talking about that I still kind of reflect on it. And, you know, I work on this Wu-Tang Wednesdays project where I try to break down some of their lyrics and, and throw proper annotations in them because when I go to Rap Genius, it's kind of, it's really not what I was looking for. So I said, let me throw it down like this. But um, I wasn't a fan of like, I don't know, North Star and Black Knights and stuff. There's a lot of stuff in yeah. there that like I purchased because I'm a collector, but it didn't really hit me like that, you know? So yeah. so, so, so you weren't a fan of um, the, the Holocaust, Blue Sky, Black Death album? Bro, I'm going to be honest, and that sounds mad rude, but that's just, I prefer the instrumental version. Like, <laughs> Holocaust. <laughs> I got all Blue Scott Black Death albums. I got probably 100 Wu-Tang albums because I'm just a major collector. But that album, like, I'm all for being abstract. I'm all for poetry. I'm all for, like, listening to, you know, giving people their space. But when I heard a lot of the hooks, I give them a lot of the hooks for dope. But I just, it wasn't something I would, like, seek out whereas the Hellraiser album to me that's like a classic that's five stars across the board I can't get enough of that one the Holocaust one the beats are dope a lot of the hooks are dope um, it was too abstract for me maybe I'm just not that high 
minded, but I just couldn't understand what he was talking about a lot of times, and I didn't want to put in the effort to figure it out, you know? Yeah, mm. yeah. I guess going to Blue Sky Black Death, um, I remember there being some controversy with them with Baby Grand and, the, like, the Gene Grey album or something like that. I don't know if you remember that. And the Holocaust album, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they did They did the Gene Grey, and, and Baby Grand released it without any proper cover work or any mixing, and they got... He did, and, cause I, and that's another album that I think is dope, and I think Gene Gray's criminally slept on, but I think that they put that one out, and there's another one called, um, I don't know what it's called, it's called like Rock Classics, or it has some stupid name, and it's a Blue Sky Black Dead album, but it was like basically just, you know, like called together, and it's not proper, and I think that's why they they dropped Avery Grand, and now they're all over Bandcamp, and they started their own record label, I think it's called Glacial Records, and they stay dropping, I mean, they've never disappointed me once, they're easily my favorite and I have been listening to them for years and I and I love I'm trying to work with them actually on this profiles but I don't know they hesitated <laughs> but yes and now I can't get back I'm hoping to hear from them but um but Gene Gray I think I don't know I just think it's funny because like um Bronze Nazareth he's another one I actually I'm waiting he, he's I did the interview with him I'm waiting to get it published um I don't know if you know him at all but he's yeah. a baby grand and oh, yeah, he, yeah. I love yeah he's for a producer slash MC him and Odyssey I mean, I can't say enough about Bronze Nazareth, but I get—I don't know how I got talking about that. I'm sorry, but yeah, Gene Gray, that album was dope. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, like yeah, that, that was, it was like a distinct period because I remember, um, yeah, I don't know what it was, it was something about Baby Grand and Nature Sounds like around 2004, 2005, like within the same period. You have um, the Blue Sky Black, that Holocaust album. You have Hellraiser's um, Renaissance Child that came out on Nature Sounds when he mm-hmm. first came back out of nowhere. And then you have um, uh, Bronze Nazareth's the, the Great Migration. So I remember, I, re- I remember, I guess musically, I was good for like, I was good for like a good two years just off those three albums alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and actually another one I liked was, well, the, the, the one you just mentioned was super dope, but um, Master uh, Killer's album came out on, around that time too, and I thought that was... Super dope. I couldn't get oh, enough yes, of that. Right, no yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Um, it was interesting because um, around that time, um, I guess Wu Tang kind of hit a lull, and um, it was surprising that Matt, you know, even like Ghostface, I think he was a little bit quiet, and he was the one that was kind of carrying the torch. But uh, Master Killer kind of brought it back for a second with that said date album. Like I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who was to be honest, because like you said, he was the quietest member. He had never contributed that much, and his style is so abstract and poetic itself. And he dropped that, and that to me, again, that's a classic. The second one, a little bit less, um, or I should say, a lot bit less, even though I still love it. But No Said Date is <laughs> one of my favorite. I mean, I bought that. I think I bought it three times because wow. I just I played it or lost it, whatever. You know, I waited outside of Tower Records in Boston just to buy it. Uh, you know, like midnight, whatever. When they used to do that. Um, Damn. But. <laughs> but Renaissance Child, that was a dope album. I mean, Hellraiser, and then his second one, uh, he- what it's called, Heaven or Hell, or Hell's Movie or something. I forgot, but it's really, really, really good. And then I think he had a brain aneurysm or something. Unfortunately, I feel bad yeah. for that because he, yeah. yeah, he's dope. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, uh, we reached out to him to try to get him on, but uh, didn't work out. Oh. oh, damn! I would love to hear you guys talk with him because I think he got a lot to say, and he's, uh, he got a lot to say. Actually, I would imagine. I mean, yeah, you know, because um, 
it, it always amazes me, you know, in hip hop, like, you know, these these weird connections that, you know, a lot of these artists have and how artists and I guess in music in general, how they get on, I guess, especially in hip hop. And you have someone like Hellraiser who like pretty much disappears for like quite a long time. And he reappears on Nature Sounds with, you know, a full, a full fledged album that came with the DVD. And he has, you know, yeah, he, he, he has MF Doom on it, and um, and and Ari, Ari, the Rugged Man, and I'm tr- I'm just trying to figure out how he even got these features. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's off the respect or something, because like you said, and like and like you said to me, that was personally a classic album, one of my favorites. But when you, it, part of the reason was because it was a full fledged. I mean, he had a killer cast, he had killer production, the cover work, everything about it was like, was like ready to blow, and you were just like, where is this guy been? You know, why is like. Why am I here? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, it is kind of weird. And, and um, you wonder, like, why these cats weren't making more money earlier because they were more, making more hits or whatever they have to make because, like, they have it in them, you know? I mean, yeah, you know, even like a, um, like, like a Killer Priest, but, you know, now he, now I think Killer Priest is finally doing what, you know, what we probably all thought that he should have been doing, you know, since 98, 97, although I still kind of see him as a disappointment in certain ways. Yeah, I don't know. I think Killer Priest never, I don't know if it was consciously or unconsciously, but he never kind of compromised his his aesthetics for, like, to be pleasing or to sell more or whatever. It's a, I'm making it probably sound better than it was. He never, like, hit that crossover appeal. Not that he has to be on the radio, but he made records that were, like, roll up in hell and really take this and don't do anything else, and that's what you're doing. He couldn't, I don't know. You know, it wasn't like, I don't know. I, I, I'm a fan of his, but like you said, I'm never... I could say he was um he underachieved, you know, for sure. I mean, he just um was amazing to me because he rapped over a didgeridoo and I was just like, that's just that's <laughs> <laughs> like who does that? Yeah, Killer Priest does that, I guess. <laughs> you know what, um so like I said, studying the Wu Tang lyrics, the Wu Tang Wednesdays, when I break down Capadonna's verses, when you break them down on paper to me, they're like A plus genius. Like I, I can see where he's coming from. It doesn't always translate with the flow, and I think he's a little too abstract or whatever it is. He's a little off kilter, and he and his albums is like I don't know. I don't you know his first two was good, and ever since then he's been dropping like a project a year that I, I haven't purchased just because I haven't you know it hasn't gained my interest. But I just think there's a lot of cats like Killer Priest is a dope is a dope writer, but he just doesn't drop projects that really I don't know hit people or at least they don't hit me like that, you know. Yeah, I guess another person yeah. like that would be, um, and this is like one of my most underrated slash disappointing rappers of all time, but I'm kind of liking what he's doing now is uh, Inspector Deck. Ooh. Because like his his first two albums I listened to, they were pretty dope, but like when he, when it comes to a Wu-Tang posse cut, to me, he always shines through, but then he gets muddied down on his own albums. But on some of these Zarface records I'm hearing, um, I like, like I'm liking how he sounds um, on some of those. Some of the records I've heard from him, he sounds like he's an old man now, but, <laughs> um, uh-huh. but, you know, some of them, he's, you know, he has that spark to him like he used to have, like... Um, you know, everybody knows I bomb atomically Socrates' philosophies and hypotheses. And then off the first album when he said, I'm the Messiah, I set the microphone on fire, rap styles vary and carry like Mariah. Like, you know, he he definitely shuts it down on the Wu-Tang albums. But um, and, I, and I even liked his first album, but he was always one of the bigger disappointments to me, even more so than Master Killer, because Master Killer only had that one verse and then you didn't really hear too much from him. So then... 
you always are surprised by him. But then with Deck, it's just like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, De- Deck for me, like I agree with everything you just said. And for me, his his depth of artistry wasn't as, as good or as deep as simply being a rapper. So like you said, when it comes to dropping a verse, he's probably going to steal the show. And I think both Darface albums are super dope. I love the whole, everything about both of those. But Deck as a solo artist, I don't think he has the depth to really carry a full project, especially without a lot of features. But I will say, his album, I think it was his second album called The Movement. Yeah. Most of the production, yeah, that was done by Ayatollah. And I'm a huge Ayatollah fan. And I think, that was like a good marriage. That was like super soulful, um, dope beats. And he could really kind of be in his zone. And Phantom of the Beats, I think, did a couple of cuts on there. And then he did the manifesto. And off the manifesto, he had a track called uh, Do What You Gotta Do. That's still one of my favorite Wu-Tang affiliated songs of all time. And it's like, like that's one big shining moment where he's really dropping knowledge, really, really writing with his pen, like super dope verses and a super dope beat, hook, everything. It's like a, it's like a classic song. But... There's too many. There's so many steps in Dex's career where he's just kind of disappointed, in my opinion, or just like I don't know. It got a little. It got a little like too much, like too much punchlines, or too much like yeah, I get it, you're witty, but what are you saying? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, he was my favorite character on the Wu Tang video game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, actually, um, speaking of that, um, I I went back, um, I think about a week ago or so, and I listened to uh, the songs off the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I remember that. The Wu World Order and all that. <laughs> yeah, Wu World Order and um, that, that, that Jungle Rumble song that always plays, I think, toward the end when you're about to beat it. Oh, yeah, with uh, You God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, God. There's something, something, you got, uh, speaking of You God, um, Mateo, I wanted to know if, um, if you've ever seen this You God documentary that's on YouTube. Um, uh, well, I've seen, I've seen like a two-part interview series where he's getting like a ticket in New York and he's very angry about getting a parking ticket. Oh, oh my, oh yeah, I remember that. And then, then he's, he's just like, he's talking about how he saved his money from Wu-Tang. He's good and when, if Wu-Tang breaks up or something like that. Yeah, and they're like, no, you didn't, you guys. Like, no, you didn't. Uh, first of all, you probably didn't even get any money because you're you guys. But there's one called, there's one called Silent Hills or there's a document or there's a movie he like did it, but I think it's called something about the Park Hill Killers or something. I didn't see it because, like, I have a lot of love for you, God, as, like, like, the little brother, but you, God, is just, I don't know, I love, and that's another one, like, his one, his last album had a lot of dope beats, and it's just like, how many times am I going to listen to a you, God album? Probably half of the time. I just, I, I, he, he had a lot of dope features. He has a dope verse on, um, It's Yours, you know, he can write, he can write really rhythmically, but he's another one that I just, like, I don't know. And then uh, that movie kind of exposed him because he was saving, saving all his Wu-Tang money. He's good with bread. And it's like, then he was like complaining. He's like really, really angry. He knows he's getting filmed for his own documentary. And he's like really angry about like a ticket. I was like, okay. I think I got busy and didn't watch the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, I remember when he came out with that dubstep uh, project or he had a bunch of dubstep type songs. And it, just, it was just like, what in the world is going on right now? <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember when Deck dropped the manifesto and he did the dub version, and I read like his his like uh, disclaimer. He was like, "Yo, dubstep's the new music. Like, you wait, like I'm, you know, th- you'll see." And I was like, "No, I'm like no, that's not gonna, that didn't happen in Sector Deck." But I mean, I guess I give him credit for trying. <laughs> I, I give him credit for trying, but like that's one thing that I always try to 
harp on whenever anybody asks me about Wu-Tang that maybe doesn't know is that they are so much better, in my personal opinion, as a collective. And they really show power in numbers because I don't, I was listening to one of your podcasts today. You talked about Method Man, and he's another one, like, as a solo artist, it's just, like, dropped the ball. And Rizzo's, uh, you know, Prince album dropped the ball. And Bobby Digital was like, that was just crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Ghostface is the only one, like, and Raekwon consistently drops steady solo careers. But as a whole... When they're really on their like on their game, I don't think they can get touched, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, going back to Bone Thugs real quick. Um, with their final album, con- uh, contractually, if you know, um, is Flesh and Bone going? Uh, is he is he seen as an official member as of now of Bone Thugs and Harmony? Well, the way I understand it, he is because they basically. I think at this point, right now, they actually have no contract on their own preference because that's that's um for this for this release but the way i see um fleshing is that they started the btnh worldwide and that basically handles all their subsidiaries and like flesh and bone global and stuff so at this point for the way i understand it he they drop like what they want to drop when they want to drop it with who they want to drop it with and I, w- I would imagine this final album they'll probably i know they're trying to do the wu-tang thing like sell it to the highest bidder i don't think that's going to happen but i think they can fit it to different to different labels, whoever's going to, you know, Universal, Sony, whatever, whatever. But I think he, he's down with them just, just like, you know, official. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, that, that, uh, that, 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 uh, that secret Wu-Tang album, I wanted to know what you thought about, um, Silver Rings' first album. If you, uh, if you ever got a chance to listen to that when it came out. Oh yeah. 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 I got that one. I think, um, that really surprised me because I didn't know much about him and I know there was a lot of hype about him and I really loved it sonically. Again, it got, to me, it was a little too long. It didn't contain my interest because again, it was subject matter and he was just really putting his AS, his A game into it and I don't blame him, but, um, it really captured me for, as like a, as like a, basically a debut in a Wu-Tang affiliate. I thought it was crazy good, but after a while, like I said, it was just really, there was a lot going on, and I think he had a really lot to say. And for just like a casual listener, I listened to it one time through, thought it was dope, listened to it again, thought it was dope. And there's cuts that I go back to, but like I said, No Said Date, for me, is like a perfect album because it's the length of it's perfect. You put it in, and it's over before you know it, but every cut is dope. Whereas yeah. Silver Rings, you know, I think he has a lot, lot to say. He's a very smart guy, and I really respect what he's done for Wu-Tang and for his own career, but his album was just a little too... A little too long and a little too heavy for me, but no disrespect to him. I mean, shoot, it was really, really good and really good production. Mm. Well, um, well, because uh, uh, when this whole thing about this mysterious Wu-Tang album came about and, and how he's behind it, um, it had me uh, dwell on uh, dwell on his album and how pretty much his whole album was um, the, uh, the the the. Uh, the beats for the album were pretty much nothing but old Wu Tang beats, and they, and they sounded like it. So I'm assuming that um, this this album, if we ever if we'll ever hear it, probably sounds like that to a certain extent. Yeah, that that's what I know. That's probably why I kind of subconsciously liked it so much, is because he did basically just basically put on the Wu Tang aesthetic and make it almost a little crisper. And that's the same thing um, Ray did with uh, Cuban Links too. A lot of that was like Wu Tang's type beats, and yeah. and even Bronze Nazareth. You know, you, it's not hard. I don't think to emulate what the Rizzo was doing 10, 10, 15 years later, it's just at the time what he was doing was groundbreaking and even the equipment he was using was crazy and the knowledge and everything he was doing. But to emulate that now, you know what I'm saying? It's probably, I don't know. It's not as hard or it's not as groundbreaking, but I still got love for it pretty much. I'll still support anything they do. I mean, 
I didn't really, I bet it tomorrow. I don't think it was as bad as people thought it was, but it definitely wasn't like what I wanted it to be, but you know. Yeah, one thing that really, um, one thing that really impressed me, uh, I guess recently dealing with RZA is, uh, or I guess it's not so recent anymore, but his track that he produced on, um, on the Watch the Throne album with uh, Jay and Kanye, that me and the RZA connect. And I think that was one of um, Kanye's best verses that he spit on there. And it didn't really have a Wu-Tang sound, but then you could kind of hear the RZA in it. And um, I really thought that was dope. Um, and, you know, RZA is weird because he does like, you know, movies and then he'll do the soundtrack to him. And, you know, he'll have these gems here and there still lets you kind of know that, you know, he's, he still has it. Um, I just think that uh, his vision necessarily doesn't fit into the rest of the group members all the time. <laughs> yeah, that that Kanye song, like you said, um, me and the Rizzo Connect, that's like a, to me, that's what that's my top two favorite songs off that whole album. And what's funny is that chorus that he made, you know, Sunshine, You Know How I Feel, that's what he used to open up his The Birth of a Prince album. Yeah, and yeah. I can see, you know, he, yeah, he goes back on ideas and tries to, like, um, you know, rework him or whatever. And I think he's just a really, really very, I mean, obviously genius level artist. And I think that's kind of why him and the Wu aren't on the same page because I think he's at this point in his career, a full fledged artist and he's willing to, to take risks or, you know, Kanye, I'm, I couldn't be a bigger Kanye fan. And the big reason is because he just isn't afraid to fail. He's not afraid to, to go out the box. And I think RZA is the same way. And I think guys like Raekwon, Raekwon's last album, I love, I love Raekwon's last album. Um, and he took some chances, but overall, you know, I think a lot of those cats just want to stay in that same lane because they know it's safe and they know that they think that's what fans want. And a lot of fans do, but a lot of other fans want to hear like, like, hey, diagrams. I thought that was, I thought it was dope. It wasn't like a classic record or anything, but it had some cuts and I could kind of see what Rizzo was trying to do with the music, but it didn't really, it didn't really work overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that's one of those things where you go back and you're like, okay, you know, there were a couple dope tracks on there. It wasn't as bad as, you know, I might have initially thought because of whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, like, like another one of those albums when it comes to Wu-Tang is the W. Like, I always thought that album was just criminally slept on. I thought that was just crazy. Um and then going to Iron Flag when I heard the difference. I'm, like, I still can't stand Iron Flag. <laughs> Yeah, um, the Iron Flag has the one the one track. I, it's called well the, tra the title track Iron Flag. That's one of my favorite Wu songs. And then they got the other one that's uh, uh woke up this morning, smoked some sticky. I think it's number oh, yeah, three or uh, four. Yeah, Chrome Wheels. Chrome Wheels. Chrome Wheels. Yeah. I um, hate that song. <laughs> yeah, oh, for real, see, I, oh, I love that. I love that beat. I think that beat is perfect. But I know what you're saying. The, like, and they invited uh. Well, I mean, yeah, that, like, yeah, I, they were in a whole different, I don't even know what they were doing. Like, the rest of that album, like, the one with Flavor Flav, and, like, where, why were you doing this, you know? <laughs> and the Speaking one with Ron Osley. But, the, the, you know what I was going to say earlier, because you were saying True Master and Force Disciple, is that I think another slept on album is uh, the True Master and KRS-One album. I don't know if you guys ever checked that out, but that's a pretty dope mm -hmm. album, actually. I skimmed through it and I was yeah. surprised because uh, KRS One he just has been losing me so much throughout the years. <laughs> but when I heard that album, I was like, "This is kind of dope." You know, I can I can kind of get with this one. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah, was well, better than the Buckshot one. Um. Oh well, I actually go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead. Oh, oh, um, oh, I was I was saying that the um. That the True Master and KRS One album was better than um, the one that KRS One did with Buckshot, which was you know highly lauded. I think I think it was 
just too over the top, especially that song uh, called Robots. When they were playing Robots, it was just too much for me. Yeah, the the thing with KRS that seems to me from from my little humble point of view is that he's always, for better or worse, he's always the smartest cat in the room, and I think that leaves little room for collaboration. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's like, if you're not really down with the KRS sound or his record, then the whole thing you might as well scrap it. And he's just like it's it's his. He's like an auteur, like his vision, or you know what I'm saying. That's why I thought the True Master record actually worked because it had some. You know, the beat, it was one producer and one MC, and for better or worse, there was some really good songs in there. But overall, he's not a cat that, like, can collaborate well, I think, from my own opinion. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I always think that, um, I think one of his best albums was uh, was Profit versus Profit. That was a really good album to me. Well, he's got gems, don't okay? He's got gems, and I just, like, I think your homie was saying, like, he's kind of lost me over the years because he always has something to say. He's always going to say it in a dope way. And and he's probably going to get some high quality production, but I don't know. I think he just I don't know. I don't know if it's my own personal. I've been getting deeper, deeper into creativity over my own little studies. You know what I'm saying? And he's always a cat that's super lyrical and super knowledgeable, but his creativity kind of stalled at least with the times. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, he was ahead of his time, ten, twenty years, and he was like the big bully on the block that was also the smartest dude. But he kind of just. I didn't. I didn't stay with him the whole way. Like I stayed with Outkast the whole way. I mm. stayed with Flick Rick the whole way. You know what I'm saying? But I just didn't stay with KRS, and that's that's probably my own fault. Did mm. you ever listen to? Um, were you ever a fan of Master Ace? Oh my God! You know what's so funny? That's so like you said. Your hip hop moment of the day. Master Ace is a guy that I've been trying to do more research on him because his body of work is so huge. But his long hot summer, and um, he's got some classic records. He's got one called Beautiful. And he's yeah, got, yeah. Um, yeah, Kool-Aid, I think, produced that, some cat from Germany. And that record is so poignant. And I was like, yo, Master Ace, as an MC, is so slept on because he's, again, he's like an MC's MC. You know who else I think of him is Last Emperor. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I about him. Like, yeah, he's like, some of these, not that Master he went away. Don't get me wrong, Last Emperor went away. but And Master Ace has never gone away. But some of these cats... Just in their lane, like we were talking about earlier, if you really want to be a rapper, like Master Ace is like a rapper's rapper. He's super dope. He has a lot to say. He says it in a very concise manner. He's very educated. He usually picks great, like, sonic landscapes. And I think back in the day he got his shine, but it never carried over, and I think that's too bad because I know he's still doing his thing, but um, I think he just doesn't. He's like one or two steps away from really getting the love that he should because he's, he's a legend, you know? Yeah, I think um, I think that that Disposable Arts album, you know, when I first heard that and the way it told the story the whole way through, um, you know, I don't think you would have a Kendrick Lamar album if you didn't have something like uh, Disposable Arts. His, um, his uh, Good Kid, Mad City album. If you didn't have, you know, Disposable Arts, A Long Hot Summer, you know. Um, and then, you know, some people even tried to pull it off but didn't really get it. Like, um, I really love uh, Sticky Fingers' album. Um, was it? Autobiography of a Black Bastard or whatever. Um, I thought that album was dope, but it didn't really stick to the concept as much as, like, Master Ace did. And That's then, a really um, good observation, too, about about Kendrick's album. It might not, it might not have been, you know, either ever existed or been as tight as it was, like... Um, um, content-wise, if it wasn't for people. And that's what I'm saying. They don't really... I just don't feel a lot of people show love to Mass Ace, um, you know, artists or fans. I mean, I know he has worldwide fans, but like you said, Kendrick and them, whether they... I don't know. I just think a lot of people could show more love to a guy like him, you know, or like Freddie Fox. I don't think Freddie Fox is oh, on yeah. that same level, but... 
Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a dope MC that influenced a lot of heads. Just they don't people don't shout him out like they not like they should because who am I to say? But just you know, what I'm saying there's a lot of guys that get slept on that that are legends. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and then like um, I think like the only guy who I really heard shout out Master Ace out was uh, Eminem, and he always gives Master Ace his props. And then, um, I guess back in the early days of Napster, there was a track that was floating around. It was um. Master Ace, Eminem, and then some other random dude. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, when, uh, what was it? Uh, it was Rocket some weird. Records. It might have been on one of those Rocket, uh, Rockets Records compilations, but it was just like, like it was just so dope. And I was like, oh man, Master Ace is about to get a shine. It was around the same time when he did that track about Boogeyman and all that. And then it just never really um, came into fruition. I think he had some health issues. That's probably why, um, you know, some of that happened. But, um, but yeah, like that's another dude who I would like to see get his props more. I do like those uh, EMC albums that he's doing, but um, I think you know one more good Master Ace full length would be would be dope. You know, I think I think another cat or a legend who's really slept on, at least in my point of view. Um, I know he gets the love, but I just don't think it's enough. Is Scarface? I think from a writing standpoint, Scarface is just so dope. He just brings so many things to the table, and I, I know a lot of people show him love, but. And I know he hasn't really dropped anything in a while, but I just think that, like, a cat like Scarface, a cat like Master Ace, um, I don't know, even Slick Rick. I know a lot of people show Slick Rick love, and he hasn't really dropped a dope project. But that artist storytelling album he dropped was dope, and I don't know. I just feel like people take them almost like they're, like, like thought-overs or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I don't know. I just, I think Scarface is just, you can't say enough about his writing. Yeah, I gotta get, I gotta get more into him. I think, I think the album that really hit me from Scarface was The Fix. Um, yeah, and um, when I first heard that, and I still have to go back to the diary and all that other type of stuff. Um, but that album really hit me. And then recently, um, just hearing his guitar skills, and I think he was talking about maybe doing like a blues album or something like that. Like he's he's just musically on another on another level, and hopefully he gets his health you know stuff together because I heard he's in the hospital now or something like that. But um, I really would like to see what he can do, you know, playing and rapping or singing or whatever he's doing. Yeah, what, what I liked about him is because he was one of the first cats that I knew that really, like, you talk about Drake and everybody now, but Scarface, not only was he living the, that real deal life, but he, was, he showed a real vulnerability in his writing that I don't think was really cool to show back then. And he was really talking about his fears, his insecurities, about his emotions, and, like, crazy stuff that today is regular. But back then, it wasn't regular, and it wasn't regular for a guy like him who was part of a group, I mean, literally called the Ghetto Boys. He wasn't, it wasn't those two worlds didn't really mix a lot. And he was a cat that really showed like, that's why it's called the diary. Cause he was like literally showing you pages of his diary. And it's really, really like deep, deep hitting stuff. At least it hit me in my heart. And I just got a lot of love for like his approach, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, I always admire, um, those artists who can really like dig deep and reveal certain things about themselves. And I guess going back to bone thugs, you know, um, you don't really hear people, um, who are as candid necessarily about, you know, things that happened in their childhood, like in terms of abuse and things like that, that a lot of people try to sweep under the rug or not shed light on and stuff like that, but they're able to do it. And, you know, like how you said, it transcends hip hop to the point where, you know, you can really get into them as people, um, and, you know, relate to them and other people who have been through the same thing, who might be embarrassed or something like that, are able to, uh, I guess, overcome their fear because, you know, these people who are 
seen by hundreds of thousands and millions um, are able to speak about it in front of those huge audiences and come to terms with it and deal with it out in public. So um, I think I think people like Scarface and Bone Thugs and anybody, you know, even like an Eminem who are able to talk about their personal issues um, are, are definitely needed. Yeah, and I, I think, again, that's why the Crossroads works so well is because during a time where gangster rap and like and violent rap was kind of hitting a crescendo bone thugs came out off their own violent rap album and dropped the album where they're singing i, I'm, I don't want to die and i mean just it was a different look for the time that it came out because there was so much violence and threats of violence through music and through lyric that it was like not only refreshing but just like where are these cats coming from these are the same cats that tell them that are like singing violently but they're also revealing like Yo, a lot of my homies died. I don't want to be one of them. That's too bad that people die so young. Why do we do this to each other? Why is my brother, you know what I'm saying? Just like a crazy yeah. different side of that, you know? Yeah. And I guess switching gears a bit, um, you know, because we're talking about hip hop and we're talking about violence. And, you know, um, I guess it's always been kind of prevalent in the music and things like that. Um, um, I know that you wanted to talk about. Uh, I guess veganism and animal rights and things um, along uh, those lines, and um, it's kind of interesting because um, you know we can talk about uh, you know we all love certain records like you know I love that moment in um, in in uh, Mob Deep shook ones where he's like you know rock you in your face stab your brain with your nose bone it's just so mm-hmm. visceral and guttural and you can just feel it but at the same time. Um, you know, people are are uh, are you know diverse and complex, and um, I was just interested to to get your views on you know veganism and animal rights and stuff like that, especially you know being a hip hop fan and being into you know martial arts and MMA and everything. Um. Well, yeah, I appreciate the question. I think a lot of people going back to what we were talking about, um, like RZA and Master Killer are very very big with animal rights and and uh, PETA. And they do, I mean, they do ads. They, they really try to bring that message to, I think, a lot of their interviews, even if it's not um, appropriate. But believe it or not, well, you, you probably already know this, but um, I think the cat who's doing the most work right now is Lil B. And um, I'm a big, big Lil B fan um, for his artistry. Obviously, some of his songs is whatever, but a lot of his songs <laughs> are really good. And um, I really dig a lot of what he's doing or what he's done with his own, with his own artistry. And he's huge on animal rights. He just... Um, partnered up with a with a company called Follow Your Heart and they basically make vegan based, you know, organic uh you know, um cheeses or mayonnaise or whatever, like almost dairy products. You know, they have a whole line of products that they make that's all vegan based. And he did a deal with them. Um I'm a I'm a big fan of, of his for spreading the message. I don't I think each is own everybody can do what they gotta do or want to do. Um I just think that what I always try to tell people is that when you have the knowledge of anything, veganism or any political, anything, any issue, when, when you have the full scope of the knowledge, then you can really make a decision because you're, then you're educated and you have it, you know, informed and you can make the decision based on that. But I just think whether it's through media or propaganda or whatever, that we don't always have the full picture and when we don't have the full picture. Then we can't really be blamed for, for choosing what we do. But I mean, for me personally, I think animal rights are, it can't be overstated, you know what I'm saying? Because I just think that the quality of life and life itself just gets almost desecrated and disrespected. And I think personally, not to, not to sound off, but I think um, all living creatures, you know what I'm saying, are, are equal and deserve equal amount of respect. Obviously, people have to survive and, 
in progress and um, the food chain exists for a reason and, you know, it's whatever. But I do think that the respect for life in general has kind of gone by the wayside and I think that there's a way to 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 eat animal, you know, whatever, to, to live a lifestyle but still do it respectfully. And, and I think if you watch a lot of these documentaries or talk to a lot of these people, um, there's a big room for improvement with animal rights, even if that results in them unfortunately, you know, becoming food is a huge respect level that they should be afforded just as creatures and just by being born. Um, so that's all. I'm not trying to preach to nobody or nothing. I just, Dead Prayers is another group that, I mean, a lot of what they say I, I'm down with, um, and that's one of them is animal rights because I just think that they get they become treated like, <laughs> like circus animals, literally, or like carnival shows or, you know, you got your pets and they do tricks for you when your guests come over. It's like, that's not a, it's not a trick, you know what I'm saying? Let the, let the yeah. dog chill. Is, you don't have to make him do a trick for a little piece of food, you know what I'm saying? Because you wouldn't want somebody doing that to you. And that's just how I try to carry myself for better or worse. And I think a lot of... Uh, that's another thing about vulnerability is that when any hip-hop head shows, you know, appreciation for animal rights or almost equality or any of these issues that maybe aren't always prevalent in hip-hop, I think it goes a long way because that's not always cool and that's not always, like... That's not always... um. The, the majority. So when they do, I think it opens a lot of people's eyes like, okay, he's doing it and I can do it like that too because it's not, you know, it's not lame or it's not frowned upon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and another one who's uh, interesting is, you know, Waka Flocka's done a lot for PETA and then you have uh, Beyonce and everything right now who, um, I think she has some type of vegan company where they deliver you vegan meals and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting because uh, I guess the whole thing is kind of becoming commercialized, but, you know, um, at least of right now, it might not necessarily be that much of a bad thing. Yeah, well, the commercialization is going to, as soon as they as soon as they find out how they can profit off of you, they're going to. So whatever, you know, avenue and arena that, that means, then it's going to happen. And so, like you said, it's not so bad now because so long as the end result is for the greater good, like animal rights or equality or whatever it is, then shoot, people can make money off of it, too. Just like hip-hop, if people, I mean, they put Biggie's lyrics on a Sprite can, which is kind of crazy, but at the same time, maybe that's showing love to Biggie's family and to Biggie's legacy, so, hey, it's okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What are some of the um, the things that, uh, the things that you've read or the documentaries that you've seen that, um, I guess, have uh, influenced you in that way? Um, the big one is, uh, how do you call it, Fork Over, Forks Over Knives? Yeah, yeah. I know yeah, that's yeah. a big one. Um, Cowspiracy. Um, there's a lot. I was actually doing some work down down here in Florida with this organic bar, and I think talking to the, the people themselves, um, the guests themselves, and seeing how they conduct their lives, and and what I always try to remind myself or just be be um, aware of is that these type of things, like I said, everybody should eat, eat their own, and, and no, never infringe on somebody else's rights. But with that being said, um, this is a this is a, a lifestyle that's that's for the positive. You know what I'm saying? So like, it doesn't mean it has to be for you, but it's coming from a positive. It's coming from a positive place. Um, so I think I was there's something called the Chinese. Uh, shoot, I don't even know what it's called. The Chinese Chinese theory, Chinese medicine. It's a book. And then oh, you're not uh, talking about that big, that big, huge book of Chinese medicine. Yeah, yeah, Chinese. Yeah. I can't think of what it's called. And then there's one called the Engine. I think it's called the Engine Six Died or something. My sister's actually a, a firefighter down here, and there was a, a firefighter who wrote a book about he changed his whole diet and he changed his whole engine's diet, and now he's a he's an author and a speaker. He doesn't even a firefighter no more. So it's crazy the different you know arenas or avenues. If you if you Google like 
vegan celebrities or whatever, like Richard Hamilton. He's a homie of mine that I got to meet, and he's a straight-up vegan. Mike Tyson, I know he's back up a little bit, but he's basically a vegan. Um, Mac Danzig, who's an MMA fighter. There's a, and then there's obviously actors, singers, whatever. But there's a lot of people that that don't necessarily advertise it, but that, that you know, Ariana Grande, she, she's all about that. So there's, like, people that are old, new, young, whatever, whatever, that have the same beliefs, and they don't necessarily impress it on people. But like I said, if you get to know them or talk to them, it's, it's coming from a good place. It doesn't mean you have to believe them or listen, but... It's not trying to influence you in a negative way, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, you know, I feel like, it, you know, as long as you're not uh, trying to impress it on people, one, um, one that, you know, it's very respectable, and two, um, I find that, you know, being in certain arenas, you know, sometimes people are more likely to um, come to you and ask questions. So you don't necessarily have to say anything to anybody, but then people start to look at what you're doing and they're like, oh, heck, you know, why are you doing that? You know, you don't want to put this this uh, mayonnaise on yourself? I'm like, uh, no. And, you know, you kind of get into deeper conversations with people um, just when they see your actions, not necessarily you speaking it. That's a good point. That is a really good point. And I think, that's, like I said, it's all about it's all about awareness. If you just give people the knowledge of everything, then they can, they're going to make their own decisions anyways, but at least maybe now they're making a better informed decision for maybe they stay the same, maybe they choose a different, you know, for any arena. But I think it's all about awareness, and I know that nobody's, it's just constant education and constant awareness. And like you said, if you lead by example, then that's probably going to speak louder than any soapbox you get on. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Um because um, you mentioned uh, Dead Prez and we're talking about Wu-Tang and stuff like that and um, I was just really interested this is a question that just came to me um, you know how you feel when you hear I guess these pro-black revolutionary type groups and things like that and some of the things that they might say in their songs well one thing that I love about Dead Prez is they gave Kanye his first shot and that's another fact that a lot of people don't don't always remember and uh, Dead Prez's first yeah which like I said I couldn't be a bigger Kanye fan and Dead Prez's first album I couldn't be a bigger fan of that um, in terms of pro-black lyrics or pro-black movement I'm for it I'm all for it I mean it's, it is what it is and, and um, I was reading a quote uh, yesterday I believe it was Malcolm X and he basically said I think it was Malcolm X it might have been Julian but he said we're not violent with those who are not violent with us you know what I'm saying and so there's a reason why you wouldn't need movements if things weren't taken away from them or taken away from anybody. And I'm actually working on a long form piece right now. That's basically, you know, that to me, there's no such thing as civil rights. There's no such thing as gay rights. There's no such thing as women's rights. You know what I'm saying? There's human rights. Human and rights. those human rights, we were born with those. And so if someone takes away something that's already yours, it ain't a victory to get it back. You know what I'm saying? I don't celebrate. They say, Oh, Gay marriage, well, first of all, there's no such thing as gay marriage, you know what I'm saying? There's no such thing as civil rights, there's rights. So if you give me something that's already mine, I'm not going to celebrate with you. I'm not going to say I'm proud to be <laughs> afforded what you gave to me, you know what I'm saying? I bought this food, I raised these animals, this is my food, you come to my farm and you steal it for years, then you're going to give me my crumbs. I'm not thanking you for that, you know what I'm saying? That's not, that's not, I don't have time for progress. We got change, change because people are, you know, living and dying without seeing change. I don't got no time for progress, so... The pro-black lyrics and pro-black movements, I'm all for it because all that is is going to bring awareness and bring solidarity and a militarized state of mind, like I said, that wouldn't be necessary if people were just being treated as people. And if they're not, then that's what you're going to get. So, you know what I'm saying? If you don't like it, then, then you give people what they were born with anyways. You know, it's a, 
that's a whole different. <laughs> I can go off on that, bro. I, that's a great question, but I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to use vulgarity, but it's disgusting, man. It's too bad. It's too bad that it comes to that. It's too bad that people can't just learn to live in peace, you know. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about not celebrating things that you should kind of have already. It kind of makes me think of, um, I guess, um, on a lighter note, when Chris Rock said something about, um, you know, like how uh, how people brag about being a father. I take care of my kids. It's like, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. not something to celebrate. So it's kind of like sometimes you hear people when they talk about, oh, you know, look how far we've come and everything like that. But it's like, why do you have to come so far when, you know, like there's a certain baseline of human rights that should already have been established and then for you to have come so far to get back to you know what should be already is kind of weird for you to even um, have to feel like you've progressed or celebrate that I think that's an introspective yeah well bro that's just I mean that's a different part of almost like almost uh how you call it? I'm like mental enslavement you know what I'm saying you they trick you to think that you need to thank them for giving you a more a, a portion of what you already are supposed to inherently have. You know what I'm saying? And they, they've tricked people into saying, I'm so proud to, to celebrate America today for, you know, the recent thing is gay rights. So there's no such thing as gay rights, man. You're a human being. You know what I'm saying? So don't celebrate what's yours already. That's yours. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I said, there's no, like, you know who um, John Brown is probably? Yeah. John Brown is my dude because John Brown was like, yo, if you're not going to give me and give them what we what, what's theirs, then we're going to take it from you and I'm going to die for it. So, He's a revolutionary, you know what I'm saying? I don't have time for a progressive. That's fine. That's how it's going down these days. But a progressive and a revolutionary, one's going to get shit, stuff done. One's, you know what I'm saying? And the other one maybe, oh, well, hope for change. I hope it gets better. One's going to be like, no, that's mine. That's his. We're taking it. Get out the way. So <laughs> that's a different story, bro. That's a very passionate subject of mine. And uh, uh, like I said, man, that hits close to home because I just, because uh, it's fellow human beings, you know what I'm saying? Because it's the same person as me. My brothers and my sisters and my kids and my parents, it's all the exact same thing. So we don't get no time for, like you said, thank you. Thank you for the crumbs of the meal that I bought myself, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting, too, like how you talk about, um, about like, gay marriage and things like that. It's, like, um, it's interesting because, you know, why... Why is government um, having a say in personal decisions anyway? Like, why is that even a legal issue? You know, this is an agreement that's happening between two people, you know, to begin with. Well, I think it's just a straight-up distraction, bro, from really bigger issues and usually monetary issues, like obviously a trillion-dollar deficit. But like you just said, like, that's, that's, that's such a non-issue that it almost goes in on itself and becomes comical that it's an issue because it's like, this is two humans consenting that is above the, whatever the consensual legal age is, that just want to simply take, take um, you know, manipulate tax rights and live their lives in peace, and somebody is infringing upon that, that's not, how does that become what it's become? You know what I'm saying? Like, that just doesn't even make, that's like almost comical in the sense that, like, that's just weird to me. And, like, the verbiage they use, like I said, it's not gay marriage, it's just marriage, it's not civil rights, it's human rights, it's not, when a gay man or a gay woman gets married, that's their, that's their partner. But it's like, and that's their husband or that's their wife. You know what I'm saying? Did you go to a gay marriage and now you have a gay husband? Like, it's just the verbiage. It just tricks you up to, like, to, to, it's very divisive. It's very yeah. divisive instead of being inclusive. And, and I think that's really unfortunate that that it's used almost as a distraction from bigger issues. From, instead of progress, they use, you know, divisiveness to chop up these little issues every now and then. And really, it should be nobody's business but the people involved, you know? 
Yeah, 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 I totally agree. Um, so I take it you're not um, <laughs> you're not uh, voting for Donald Trump. Oh <laughs> uh, no, you know what's so funny though, dog, is that my birthday is next week, and I want so bad. I told everybody I know that I want those that get great, make America great again. That red hat, because I never seen something so ridiculous. Like that is the goofiest hat, and I will wear that everywhere just because it's so funny to me. But no, nah, for me, my guy is Bernie Sanders from the jump. Um, I think that's just me personally. It's whatever people can choose their own, but I mean, that's my guy. I think that, again, we don't have time for, you know, progressively better candidates. I think a cat like Obama, I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to do what he has to do, but he kicked open the door for, for actual social domestic change. And now we need to carry that on instead of reverting back to, like, a, basically a two-party system that have been bought and sold for decades over time. I think a cat like Bernie Sanders is a, he's a politician too, but I think... Because we live in America and whatever it is, instead of looking at people's voting records, you look at haircuts and suits and goofy stuff and statements and, and sound bites. But if you look at people's voting records, that's going to tell you what they're about. And if you look at his voting record, like I said, his domestic issues have been aligned for, for decades. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm about. I mean, I, you have to worry about the domestic issues first before foreign policy, in my own personal opinion. And uh, I champion everything or, you know, most things Obama's done domestically. And I think Bernie Sanders would be the next cap to carry that on and, Donald Trump, um, man, I can't figure that cat's game out. I think somebody planted him. I can't figure out who did, but I mean, that's just kind of serious. I mean, he's getting his publicity and he's a billion dollar man, but like, I don't know. He's just like a, that's like a circus act. I don't know what's going on, to be honest. It's very bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many circus acts that are going on um, in every facet of everything that it's hard to, you know, really find what's real unless you really uh, go out and seek it, you know? Yeah, that's that's exactly. They bury the knowledge. They bury the knowledge so deep that you're either going to be too tired from working your underpaid job that you're not going to find it, or yeah, you, you, it's just it's very it's just a very strange society and culture. And uh, obviously, at this point, we got to take it upon ourselves to get to the to the bottom of whatever the issue is. But there's a lot of distractions out there, not just temptations, but man-made distractions. And it's uh, not to sound too crazy or whatever, but it's just like it's just a little weird that. Like I said, it's just so, it would be so much easier, man. We were all born with such a finite amount of time to live, and it would be so much easier to spend our lives progressing and helping and, and spreading peace. And it's so weird that, like, those aren't our main focuses, you know? It's like so much nonsense that we focus on instead. It's just weird to me as I get older. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, um, you know, I guess, you know, now we have uh, more digital tools to, uh, I guess, get our books out. And um, one thing that I noticed is that you post a lot of your stuff on, on Medium. And I was just wondering, um, what's the next step, uh, like in terms of getting published or, you know, having your own site or anything like that? Um, oh, I appreciate you asking, man. So right now I own I own my site. It's called MateoUrella.com. And that probably comes across as super, um, you know, whatever, like whatever it is. But I just use my name on everything I do because I think it's, a unique enough name that I don't really have to come up with something else. So I use that for Twitter and Instagram and, mm-hmm. and my own website. So com is live right now, but it's not really functioning because I've been using Medium for, it's been a year like this week, and I have about 20 different projects on there alone that I have to convert. So the conversion process has been a long time. The Bone Book, um, like I said, I have to wait for Lazy Bone because I want to, you know, there's copyright issues with the photos, which really is unfortunate because I personally think the photos help tell that story mm-hmm. and we're not going to be able to, you know, use them photos the same. So once I hear back from him, which hopefully is this week or this, you know, end of this month, 
then I can figure out the next step for the bone book. I know that Lulu.com wants to self-publishing, and I'd rather take that route because just cut out any middleman and, and get down with bone and um, chop it up and really spread the word about their story. And uh, that's that on that. I was, like I said, I'm trying to reach out to F. Gary Gray, and, and like I said, I'm a screenwriter, at least at heart, so I'm trying to work on that with them and work on my own little screenwriting projects. My dream is to make my... Uh, my first low budget, so I got that all done. I just need the financing like we all do, so I'm in the middle of trying to secure that. That's a, that's a dedication piece to Boston. That's going to be super dope when that gets made. Um, and other than that, man, my dream is just to be a full-fledged, independent, financially secure artist through photography, through writing, through um, everything, man. That's why I'm trying to do these profile interviews because I think there's so many people out there that have a story to tell. And right now I'm trying to be the one to tell it for them, but I got my own story to tell and my own visions, you know what I'm saying? And so that's the next step. Hmm. That's what's up, man. You have a lot going on. It's definitely dope to see somebody who's, um, you know, really has a vision and is uh, definitely pursuing that. So definitely uh, much props to you. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to plug? Uh, just real quick, I used to be um, the personal assistant for Junior Sale, and he taught me he taught me a whole lot about life in the time we had together than uh, damn near anybody, and he got into the Hall of Fame two weeks ago, so... Much love to him. I hope he's resting in peace. I hope he's proud of everybody that he touched because he's a beautiful uh, hero and a, very, and a big, big brother to me. Um, other than that, obviously, shout out Boston, shout out Tana 10, shout out Bone Thugs. Love you guys for um, for being interested enough to talk to me for so long. I really, really appreciate it. It kind of took me by surprise and really made this whole month that much bigger for me. So I couldn't thank you guys enough and anything you ever need, I'm down for. But, um, yeah, shout out to Hip Hop Man, shout out to Martial Arts, Channel 10 Network, CNN, all that, you know what I'm saying, it's what it is, so anything you ever need, I got you, and really, really big, big gratitude to you guys. Oh man, thank you a lot for the interview, and definitely anything that you have coming up, send it our way, and we'll shoot it out there. Yeah, I appreciate it, boys, I really, really look forward to, um, to, to getting this out there, and like I said, uh, you got a fan in me for life, so whatever you need, just, just send it my way, and you can count on it getting out too, so much love. Appreciate it, appreciate Ooh. it. Um, did you have any final thoughts, son? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think we wrapped this one up pretty nicely. So yeah. um, definitely check out um, uh, uh, Mateo Urella on Medium, MateoUrella.com, um, Channel10Podcast.com. Check us out on iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, all of that. And we are out. Peace. Peace. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yo. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface.